welcome to episode 85 of Penny Red. There'll be no special Christmas episode this year due to some difficulties I had with uh, tracking people down in an efficient way. So, until next year, many happy returns of the season and a happy new year. And I will be catching up with you with episode 86 early in January 2014. So until then. This week, I've got a chap that I'm interviewing for the second time, although nobody will have actually heard the first one, apart from the 20 or so people that were sitting downstairs in a little role-playing club slash cafe in Edinburgh, making far too much noise for you to actually able to use it for the episode. So for the second time, but for the first time for all listeners, today my guest is Bill Heron. How's it going, Bill? Hi, oh, thanks. Right. Now, what was the name of that place we were at, like the Cube or the, the Hub or the something? Oh, it was Edinburgh, Edinburgh Games Hub. The Edinburgh Games Hub, is it still there? Oh, yeah. Um, it's definitely going from strength to strength. Uh, oh, great. Uh, first, first time I've been there in there that time, to be honest. Uh, right. Uh, and so well, how many people do they have there on a regular basis? Like, Because uh, it, it was pretty well full the first day we were there, but I had a feeling it had just opened. Um, it's still much the same, I think, from what I understand. Uh, we've not been there for a few months, but uh, uh, other things have taken place. But uh, what I understand is a very popular place in Edinburgh now to go and play war games and things like that. So you've got tables that you can put together, and uh, uh, it's dedicated to that sort of uh, particular genre as, as such. Oh, so Maybe it's more so much... sort of like tabletop miniatures and stuff now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, less about the role-playing side of things, but it's a bit of a shame. But uh, it's just uh, sometimes uh, when you've got a bunch of Magic uh, the Gathering players and uh, yep. gamers in the same place, sure. it gets loud. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll, I'm going to splice a little bit of that uh, that recording we made in on that uh, in that in the episode here, so you can sort of hear what it sounded like. And that was sort of mostly role players, I think, that were there at that time. But I can only imagine. Um, what it would have been like had there been um, a whole bunch of Magic players and, and war games there. But anyway, good time. So that's, uh, that is, where, where could somebody find that? Do you know what the address is of that roughly? Or maybe somewhere somebody could find that online if they were in Edinburgh or thereabouts? Um, just, just look for the Edinburgh Games Hub. It's quite, quite a good chance uh, to Google it. They'll find it like instantly. Right. Okay. The Edinburgh Games Hub. Yeah. And I can, there's a little cafe up top where you can get some coffee and some drinks and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And then how much is it? Is it like two quid or something if you want to use the facilities? Um, like I can remember, it's something. It's it's two quid if you're a non-member. Right. Uh, okay. Pound, pound if you're a member. Uh, right. There you go. Yeah. It, and uh, if you don't be there every week, so right. The Edinburgh for more than say a couple of months, it's a very good value. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, when I was there, um, it was actually Edinburgh Festival time, I think, if I remember right. I <laughs> struggled through all that. There was a oh, ter- are there road work still terrible in Edinburgh at the moment? Um, traffic's still bad. Uh, let's just say that uh, it takes you sometimes half an hour to get from one of Princess Street to the other, which is a high oh, is street. Right? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Princess Street is sort of the main. Oh, well, I suppose there's two main streets. Oh, there's the Royal Mile and then there's Princess Street. Ah, but I think the, the Princess Street is the. The Royal Mile Royal Mile's the old town. You know? That's right. Oh, the old, of course, yes. They call it the old town. There's the old town. Anybody who's read uh, Ian Rankin books, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about that here in a minute, but anybody who's read Ian Rankin's books, um, the Inspector Rebus, well, actually, all of his books, I think, apart from perhaps. Uh, Bloodheart and, and Witch, I think, were uh, written um, and based around Edinburgh. It's fabulous, really. It's one of the characters in the story. Do you have you read those? Do you read those, Bill? I can't remember we talked oh, about. Oh yeah, them. yeah. Big big Rebus fan. Uh, yeah. It's kind of also the TV shows quite good as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because it was John Hanna was first. Like you'll probably know John Hanna from maybe from the Mummy. Might be the he might be best known from for American audiences, <laughs> but for British audiences, um, he's in a lot of. Well, at least he was in a lot of. Uh, like he was in. Uh, was it uh, Sliding Doors? That was a, that was one he was yes. with Gwyneth Paltrow. That was a good one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we played 
How many did he play in? Just three or four? Yeah, I think about three or four episodes. Ken Salt is in The Hobbit. That's right, uh, yeah. also the more recent one, who's um, actually from Aberdeen, so... Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Very different uh, do you accent. Read, yeah, do you read Stuart McBride as well? No, I don't, I'm afraid, no. Stuart McBride is very much in the same vein. He's actually got a, a police officer um, who is set in... Uh, the police officer, I think, is John McRae. Um, and he's set... Not John McRae. Uh, yeah, Stuart McBride's the name of the author. I can't remember exactly the name of the... the detective. John McRae, I think, is actually a, a rally driver. But um, Logan McRae, there you go. Um, and it's very much in the same vein as Rebus. You might really enjoy it. There are seven or eight books now, so check out Stuart McBride. Set in Aberdeen, unless of course you, if you're from Edinburgh, you're forced to hate uh, Aberdeen. Favorite, uh, favorite, favorite Rebus story. Oh, um, it's got to be Naming of the Dead. Naming of the Dead, your favorite? Yeah. Because right. um, I, I was in Edinburgh the same day that uh, that whole event kicked off. Uh, right, right. The whole, uh, uh, it's, uh, I think it's uh, not September 11th. It's seventh uh, of the seventh. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. July seventh. 2007, uh, yes. we had the Edinburgh riots. Uh, right. I was blessed in about a mile from that, uh, right. involved in some of the stuff from that. I just yeah, I yeah. love the whole concept of Rebus knocking George Bush off his bike. Yeah, that was funny, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. If you read that, I think that's, uh, if you read them, in, I mean, you don't have to read them in order. Um, and if you are going to read them in order, I think Naming of the Dead is number fifth. Is Naming of the Dead before Exit Music? I think it's a long, long, long. It's a, it's a long, long way in. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't remember that sort of. I used to have the omnibuses, but uh, I read yeah. them all and ditched them, as, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've read them all. I don't know who done it anymore. Yeah, apparently one in ten, one in ten books bought in the United Kingdom is a Rebus book. Yeah. Wow. And so he's he's not he's not he's not hurting for uh, for a penny or two. So if you read, don't tell me. But if you read either of the new the two new ones, the one where he's in with um. With Fo the Fox, the, the complaints department guy, and the um, and uh, then he's got his own new one. Like he's actually got two actually new ones. I've got them sitting there. I'm going to get into them over Christmas. I'm sort of trying to reread them. I've just about finished. Um, no, 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 I don't read them yet. No, read them. Yet. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I won't spoil it for you. I haven't, I haven't read them either. But yeah, so uh, there's two new ones. I'm hoping to get one of them in my stocking. From uh, hopefully Santa Claus is going to sneak down the chimney and um, put one in my stocking at Christmas time. Um, but yeah, that's uh, so. I'm looking forward to reading those. Rebus is a fabulous, fabulous character. Oh, yeah. the, the premise is that like he had to retire after exit music because he was too old. But then the Scottish Police Department increased the retirement age for detectives, and so now he's he's back in, and apparently he's got a chip on a chip on both shoulders or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to looking forward to reading. But those, I really like his Edward Fox character as well. But the, the night there was a nice crossover there, which which um, I'm looking forward to uh, to reading over Christmas. Edward Fox and him, he's the the complaints. But anyway, the the, the very first sort of connection that I have with um, Edinburgh and role playing is the episode of of Taggart. Now I think we sort of brushed over this last time, but I can't remember the contents of the conversation. Taggart still runs today. I think it's the longest running British program apart from Coronation Street. Um, but it's um, yeah, but he's a detective again. Um, but in one episode, this is the first one. Ian McManus, was it? Um, John McManus. Oh God, John uh, McManus. Anyway, right? Like the, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still with the McManus. Um, yeah, he, he comes. Uh, either him or is one of his uh, oppos comes to the Edinburgh. It's a totally different uh, right uh, uh, opportunities. It were it's, it's McPherson. I think it comes to Edinburgh. And yes, yeah, because it's usually in Glasgow, right? Yeah, yeah, Glasgow is obviously a 
That's been a murder. The Edinburgh accent is much more different, different than that. I mean, I'm not from Edinburgh myself, so obviously it's a... Uh, yeah, yeah. You, know, you do notice the Glaswegian, the Edinburgh accents, but um, I think the Edinburgh, you know, the the the, the, the Glasgow episodes of the Taggart's are a bit more darker, but Edinburgh's gone more that way yes. in the last 10 years. Right, right. You know, it's not quite so dark or something like that, but you know, Glasgow's Glasgow is dark. Edinburgh's got darker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that that, that that's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so in this in this episode, um, they were uh, one of the, the people in the show was uh, was doing playing role playing games or something, right? Like playing Dungeons oh, and Dragons. Yes, yes, I remember. Yes. Oh, yeah, God, and, yes. And then the, yeah, and then the character got killed, and then they got killed or something like that. And so they sort of delved into this mysterious world of. Of, uh, of of role playing and all the terrible things that people are incapable of telling the difference between reality and fantasy and yeah. and things things kicked off from from there. But uh, yeah, so I think it was the first person started playing it. It was, the, and then uh, I think a guy turned up with an axe. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, that's what usually happens, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it depends on the genre. Some people shot with shotguns or, you know, phaser rifles or something like that. And, yeah. I thought it was a LARP. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. This is a LARP, isn't it? I was just having a LARP. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember that episode now. And then uh, I think, from what I can recall, it, the, 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 the DI uh, person tries to put his little LARP through the table. But it doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. God, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But at least it's better. So, uh, this morning, Mazes and Monsters was on at 10, 10 a.m. on the Horror Channel. Oh, really, was it? Oh, uh, yeah, right, nice. Yeah, I'm going to throw my open call out to uh, to Tom Hanks again. Um, every once in a while, I use my Twitter my Twitter handle to uh, to write to, to Tom Hanks because apparently, if you're very lucky, like if you give him a typewriter or something, he'll come on your yeah. show. But um, my dream is that when I get Tom Hanks on there and give him an opportunity to atone for Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> Um, so Tom Hanks, if you're listening, which seems unlikely, but anybody that knows Tom Hanks, um, you give him the opportunity to come and uh, put the put the record straight about role playing and his involvement in, in mazes and monsters. So yeah, that's anybody who wants to get me something for Christmas, you can uh, you can get me Tom Hanks on the uh, on the show, or you can buy one of my books. I guess that's something else you could do for me for Christmas. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that was uh, yeah the representation of role playing in the in the media is and actually in episode 83, Sean Hayworth and I were talking about. There's a judge in America at the moment who is uh, questioning his ability to preside over cases because he's really into um, role-playing games, specifically Pathfinder. Um, and these two people went in front of him. I think he's mostly a lawyer on uh, sort of civil disputes, but somebody was in there because of a divorce proceeding and somebody was there because of a contesting a will, um, and things didn't go their way. Um, so somebody, I'm going to guess, with a vendetta against him, sort of leaked the fact that he was into role-playing games, although quite they, why they thought that was going to make a difference, I don't know. Um, and then, uh, so they both said they wanted both their cases reheard um, because apparently he was living in a fantasy world when they were, he was presiding over their cases, and there's no possible way that uh, he could rule accurately because of his involvement with Dungeons & Dragons, or specifically Pathfinder in this case. Thoughts, Bill? Um, well... Roll d20. Fifty percent chance of being right or wrong. But, that's right. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> oh, bloody hell! Uh, and that's pretty shocking. Uh, yep. For me, I, I think you know the judge is he's a well this way he's an educated human being. Um, he's probably got higher IQ than most folk. That um, I mean, he's been to university. Um, yep. Mind you, in, in America, that's 
you know, that just means a deficit of a finance, but... Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he's, if, he's a, if he's a court judge, he's probably a little bit more... He's, he's designed to be impartial, as it were. That's right, yeah, by, yeah exactly. By, by the whole point, by, the, by his whole uh, definition of his uh, job. That's right. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, he's designed... He is literally, is mentally designed to make judgments on yes. right or wrong. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is, if he's played, no, 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 no. If he's played Pathfinder, yeah. he's got an even better idea than anyone else. I mean, was he a player or was he a GM? Oh, I he's think he's probably... Yeah. You know, it's a GM. GM yeah, Pathfinder, right. you know. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, it should, be, it should be required. Yeah. It should be a course to do at university. Like, running Pathfinder is a way to uh, practice your judging skills, perhaps. Yeah, well, uh, well any role-playing game, if you've been a GM for any role-playing game, you know, yes. you do what's right. That's right, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like the whole concept of having, you know, if you've got a player that's being disrupted or something like that, you try and yeah. talk to them and try and maybe get him just to step back. I mean, yeah. it's like the whole point. It's like prosecuting, prosecutor, well, if, if we've, all, we've all seen law and order at some yes. point, and the whole <laughs> yes. concept is objection, and the whole well, the judge says, sit your ass down. You know, that's right, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a GM. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. Live with it, you know. I, exactly. I make decision, live with it. Move on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but anyway, they're giving it a shot. Um, but America is a funny place in terms of what people will dredge up. And I think that, and I and I, I mentioned during the episode, and I'm not sure if if uh, it's necessarily the same way in England. Although I suspect that it is. Um, until the baby boomers um, are no longer a large voting contingent, um, I think that those sort of things will continue to crop up because um, with, I mean, the average life expectancy now is like over 80 years, right? So yeah. we're still talking another at least 10 or 15 years till most baby boomers are at that are at that uh, age and they're going to represent a larger and larger vote block. And in America, this particular position he was in is, a, is, a, is an elected position. So, so yeah, I mean, there's still going to be traction for that type of thing. Mind you, he won, he won 81% of the votes last time, so I think it's going to be okay. But, but there you go. That's that's what you get, I guess. Um, so well, he's a Democrat um, rather than a Republican, then. <laughs> well, I, there was no mention of Democrat or Republican, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's certainly been brought up. There are a couple of other cases which which we discussed on that episode about people who were trying to be elected, and they brought up the fact that one of them played uh, World of Warcraft, and somebody else was a was a uh, uh, World War Two reenactor. Um, so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it's, uh, nobody's safe. Nobody's safe, Bill. That's what I'm saying. So anyway, so how long have you been a role player, Bill? Oh, um, well, 40 this year, so probably 25 years, quarter of a century. Right on. Okay, and how did you get started? Uh, fighting fantasy. Uh, the whole yeah. fighting fantasy genre, you know, Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston. Yes. And the guys I went to um, form Games Workshop. Yeah. The uh, loved or uh, hated Games Workshop, yes. So, so which, is the, which, yes. Is the best, um, which is the best fighting fantasy, Bill? Oh, um, it's hard to tell. Um, the one I've had the most fun with is probably uh, Caverns of the Snow Witch. Oh, really? Okay, why so? Kevin um, Snow, which is number seven, right? Um, seven or eight, I can't remember which one. Scorpion Swamp eight, so it must be seven, yeah. Scorpion Swamp eight. Because interestingly, Scorpion, Scorpion, yeah. Scorpion, well, here's the thing. Scorpion, I've said this before, but I'll, I'll say it again because I'm not sure if I've said it to you, is that Scorpion Swamp was written by Steve Jackson, but not the original Steve Jackson, Steve Jackson. It's actually Steve Jackson, American Steve Jackson from Steve Jackson Games. 
So if you, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you think it's the same Steve Jackson? It's actually a different Steve Jackson, which is which is odd that they would make no distinction. But yeah, that the Scorpion Swamp was written by the Steve Jackson from uh, Steve Jackson games, you know, Gerps and Munchkin and, and all that type of stuff, not the original yeah, Steve I Jackson. That. And don't go so, as well. so there you go. So it's different. But yeah, so what happens in Caverns of the Snow Witch? I can't remember. So um, there must be, well, maybe it's number nine. There's number, no, no, there's... Mm, maybe number nine, actually. It's, 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 yeah. I think Scorpion Swamp and uh, Caverns of the Snow Witch are in the same... Uh, I think the same release, release schedule. But, right. Uh, for in Caverns of the Snow Witch, basically you end up in the, the mountains uh, trying to... Uh, what I can recall is trying to find out what happened to a bunch of your friends and right. uh, townspeople. And right. what happens is you get you become the subject of a death spell, right? Like whole becomes a whole new. Um, uh, it just links into all the other parts of fighting fantasy world. I mean, you also have psychics. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, now for the dwarf. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember now. It's been a long time since I played that. My my favorite oh. is uh, is Forest of Doom. Um, followed yeah. by by um, City of Thieves. I love City of Thieves. I like the idea of going around and there being multiple paths that you go through to get all the five bits of stuff together to defeat Zanbar Bone. That was my. Oh, I remember that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one of my that's my favorite my favorite one. So yeah, I mean that's you can get those. Done. I, I don't know. Have they have, are the re-releases of those all exactly the same? Have they fiddled around with them at all? Do you know? I don't know. No, I've not read any of them since. Uh, it was a nightmare. They, they re-released them. But... <laughs> I can remember some of the later ones were were kind of re rebadged as it were. I remember right. Relief Nightmare Castle. Relief right. Nightmare Castle, like a Thuloid Nightmare, one of those right. you know, games right. sessions ago. Because right. uh, it just seemed to be, uh, you know, you, you sit down in a chair, and next thing you know, you're getting absorbed by some sort of monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> as you do. <laughs> I think so. I think from about 20 onwards, it got after the release of Titan and Out of the Pit. Yeah, it kind of got to the stage where some of the adventures were just like fiendishly difficult. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the last one that I the last one that I actively bought, I think, in the initial run was uh, House of Hell. Oh um, God, House of Hell, bloody hell! That yeah, yeah. was a nightmare one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeez. yeah. Very difficult. That is yeah, very, scary very difficult. as hell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that, um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I can't remember. Um, I, I, yeah, it was really difficult. Yeah, House of a really difficult. Um, and I think House of Hell is the only, well, at least in that sort of initial view, is the only contemporary game. Yeah, the only one that happened sort of in 1980, um, whatever it was when it was released. There's Freeway Fighter that's set in the future. That's post-apocalyptic though, right? Post-apocalyptic, give or take. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't that, but. Um, Robot Commando, which is still one of my favourite. Yeah. Just go to the things because it's got robots, got mecha, and it's got uh, dinosaurs. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what more could you want? Yeah. 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 We we need dinosaurs. We've got dinosaurs, so we're going to be herding mecha. That's right, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and if we're going to be complete about then, of course, uh, Starship Traveler, which was episode, which was number four. Oh God, yes, yes. Also set in the future, that's, but that's, that's my first. That's my first. <laughs> That's your first favorite one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first book I played, yeah. Right, I get the zero, okay. Yeah, I, I got um I got the the I got Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Um I think I got them sort of basically in, order, in the order that they came out. So I was really oh, wow. uh it was really good for me. Okay, so you, you started with some fighting fantasy and then did then the Titan books came out and you said, hang on a minute, I could run my own game, or did you start getting into role playing prior to um, that? I played the game of Traveller, you know, at school uh, back in nineteen right. 19- must be 1987. Um, right. 
which has seemed to be a, we had no idea what we're doing, but it seemed to involve uh, tobacco smuggling. We never finished the first session. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, we only had an hour. Basically, at that point, we only had an hour. Um, right, it was right. Three like thirty to four thirty. Yes. Uh, that's the time the teacher was prepared to look after us. So. Right, right, yeah. As it were, but uh, we had a whole whole hour at that point, and uh, it came with the fighting fantasy adventure. It's fairly linear, and I cringe when I look at it now. Yes. But it's just basically I've gone through all the monsters out of the pits or something like that. Right, right. And I come up with a few ideas to drop them in. But a huge amount of fun. Yes. Um, well, that's think... the thing, isn't it? Right. That's what catches you. Like, uh, yeah. looking back now, you think, you know, like, how did I enjoy doing that? But I mean, you're going back to the, the like kids at Christmas, right? Like they take the toy out of the box and then proceed to play with the box, right? It's, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, you know, if, it, if, if it's fun, that's that's really the only qualifier, right? For something that's yeah. a worthwhile pastime. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you, you played, so you, you went straight from Fighting Fantasy to, to, uh, to Traveller. Um, or did you say Starship yeah. Travel? Like you tried to run a game like Starship Traveler style? No, no, no. It's basically I, I wasn't running it. I was playing it. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Basically, I think he just picked up Traveler. I think from that that point we went from there to uh, well, I think we went to AD and D, Werewolf, right? WFRP, right? Uh, whatever fantasy role play, yes. Uh, which I sort of soft spot for, but uh, yeah, later. Um, we also played Call of Cthulhu. Yes. Well, who doesn't? That's, That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, I just want to think what else we did as well. I, I think there's a there are a few games that we played that were sort of off the grid. We I played a lot of homebrew stuff, and uh, I yes. I learned from from that that basically if you're playing if you're a, a teenager, there's certain things you don't do when you're trying to come up with ideas for like props and things like that. Like right, right, maybe right. make an audio recording. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> when, you've got, when you've got a severe cold, which is just someone heavy breathing. But uh, yes. uh, but I think at the time we went through a whole gamut of uh, sort of games. Uh, right. What, what, same what group that age you do? Sorry. The same same group of guys all the way through here. Um, pretty much, yeah. Uh, it's, it's about seven of us, give or take a couple of, couple of us uh, at any right. given time. Uh, but we all sort of picked up the... We, I think Call of the Cthulhu was the one we played the most. Right. Um, but we played we played through the Enemy Within as far as Power Behind the Throne. Right. Um, when we got to Power by, Behind the Throne, I think we literally kind of lost the plot. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Somebody lifted books on a bus or something. <laughs> no, no, we just, we just, uh, the GM was like, oh, God, guys, yeah. you don't yeah. do what you need to do. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Something else. Something yeah. Else. Yeah. So, uh, so you went through, um, so you did the, I was just trying to plot the timeline. He said, Warhammer fancy role playing, but we're talking about mid 90s there, right? What, what subsequent to, to that? Well, mid 90s, I kind of dropped off the radar. Right. Uh, with the gaming. Um, it, it just is the fact that you know you're gaming at that point. You know, I think it's like everyone else of our age, yes. of my age especially, they had so much stuff to do, and gaming yes. was kind of like going into its decline. Yes. Um, about which wouldn't happen until the noughties or whatever. Right. right. Five, five or six years. Yes. Uh, and you did basically a bunch of us just sold off our, our gear. Right. And you just yeah okay fine you know. We're not going to get a chance to game with this or anything like that. And right. we just moved on. Right. Uh, and towards the end of the 90s, that's when I started picking it up again. And, right. Know, uh, even though I got no 
no chance to actually run anything or anything like that. Um, but I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be fun just to keep track of some of the stuff. But I'm still regretting selling off my werewolf, werewolf stuff and the vampire stuff. I was going to say, yeah, what's what's your biggest regret? Like selling off? Your, did you sell every single thing? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what's your biggest What's your biggest regret? Like the big the, the one book you wish you still had that you're not able to get back, or is it all purely sentimental? What What you want to keep? Um, probably most. Most of them, but <laughs> the <laughs> right. of everything I want it all back. Yeah, the, the realm of chaos, WFRP, right? Because I mean, that goes for fortune on eBay now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Good, right. It's such a good supplement. Yes, uh, yeah. There are two of them, right? There are two. Yeah. Uh, uh, Slaves of Darkness and Lost of the Dams. Yeah, uh, yeah. Lost of the Dams less less good in my opinion, but uh, yeah, yeah. Darkness has got fantastic artwork and. Most games now you can sell them on their artwork. So that's true. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the the thing. I, I remember Zach Smith. I think he was episode number thirteen, um, talking about those those two exact books, saying you know, like those are those are his two favourite books just for the artwork yeah. alone. Yeah. Do they exist as PDFs? Do you know, or is it is it? I uh, don't know. Uh, given that uh, Games Workshop are, uh, shall we say, stringent on their. Uh, Copyright. Yes. Uh, it would be nice if they were still available. Nice if they're available PDF, but I doubt it. Uh, I, I don't know why they wouldn't though. I can't see any reason in them not because any value that those books have now is not in Games Workshop's back pocket, right? Like the fact that somebody's got a copy of that and they can sell it for forty quid, it doesn't put anything in Games Workshop's bottom line. Yeah. The only way they can get some more money off that, even though. Um, it's their intellectual property. The only way they can get any money off it now, unless they've got, they're going to re-release some copies in hardback, is to sell it yeah. as a PDF. I mean, it strikes me as being a no-brainer um, yeah. for it's to 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 release those as PDFs. Now, um, let's just say, for example, you release the PDFs and then they get onto BitTorrent, which they will do. Um, again, they still would get no money if they didn't do it at all. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I would have thought that making a decent PDF and then selling the PDF would be yeah. a would be it would be a good way to go, but I mean, because they're going to get no further money from those releases. Yeah, I mean, they are fantastic books. I mean, it's yeah. But I, I, maybe it's the whole fact that you know they don't want to. I mean, it's a part of their intellectual property that they might have to pay artists for or something like that. I don't know. Oh, there's royalties on it. I suppose it could be, but even so, I mean, you yeah. Well, I mean, my feeling is it would take a limited amount of time to create those PDFs um, and then to price them to pay off the to price them to pay off the artists. I suspect though the number of those artists that are in those books, I'm just trying to remember the names of some of the big names in that, those books, but they're escaping. Um, Tony Ackland, John Sibick, Tony Hoff. Right. But were those guys big were those guys big um, illustrators at that time or did they come become big off that? I think they may at have... the time they were well, I know that Tony Ackland uh, doesn't do anything with Games Workshop anymore, but uh, right. Um, but uh, he certainly he certainly was. Uh, I can remember most of the illustrations in Slate to Darkness are his. Right. Um, uh, Lost of the Dams. It's more Tony Hoff. John right. Sib not John Sibick. I, I can't remember the name of a lot right. of them. But a lot of them might have gone on to do stuff like mostly for 2000 AD or something like that. Right. Right. Quite a few yeah, of them. Right. Are you a 2000 yeah. AD guy? Um, not so much. I don't I don't read the comic regularly. Uh, Sorry, graphic novel. <laughs> yes, uh, um, yes, I am a big Judge Dredd fan, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. um, I'm a I'm a collector of 2000 AD. I haven't probably bought one in probably 10 years now. But back when I was in university, 
aside from going to lots of labs and lectures and stuff like that, um, my spare time consisted of um, trying to gather up all the back issues of 2018. I think oh, yeah. I'm left with about up to about number 900, I think. I think there's probably 30 that I don't have. I've got number one, number five, and, and like I've got, I've got a good, good portion of the of the low numbers as well. But just every yeah. once in a while, there's there's you know there's a few that I don't have. There are a whole bunch of them. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the show before, but there are a whole bunch of them that were bought in New Zealand and then destroyed in a um, destroyed in a warehouse fire. So Jeez. there are some strange numbers which you couldn't which you couldn't get because they never even made yeah. into the never even made into the shop. So I managed to get most of most of those. But but yeah, they're all in New Zealand at the moment and prohibitively expensive to ship over here. But my my hope is that one day yeah. I'll I'll get them here. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so so in the nineteen so right around the turn of the millennia, if you like. Um, yeah. You started getting back into it. So, what's the first sort of things that you picked up at that time? Well, I was just trying to remember. Mostly Call of Cthulhu, I think. Right. Um, at that time, basically when 3.5 D and D 3.5 came out, yes, um, that's when I started getting back more into it. Uh, right. Let, got more involved with orcas, as it were. Right. Is that when you moved to Edinburgh? Like, because you're not from Edinburgh originally, well, right? I, I I've lived in Edinburgh 39 years, so. Oh, there. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> The accent. Oh, yes. the accent, <laughs> originally enough. Yeah. 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 Originally, uh, 39 years ago, I, was, I lived in South England when I was a year old. But, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I kept We're the accent. Role playing at that point. Yeah. 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 Aside from the drooling idiot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, was doing the, um, I was doing the drooling idiot lap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I got more into the 3.5 side of things and I got involved with North Canberra. Um, right. I think what is Orkenbra? Tell us about it. Tell us about Orkenbra. Um, Orkenbra is uh, what we call is the open role play community, which is convenient. Um, yes. Basically, we're a non-affiliated club, as in we're not affiliated with the university or a, or a particular institution or anything like that. We're just basically uh, a community that, if you're a gamer in Edinburgh that wants to try role playing. You know, Orkenborough is the place to visit or whatever. Right. Uh, that's not too self-promotional. Um, no, no, no. Uh, you, you go ahead and promote away. That's part of the show. Is if you've got something that you're passionate about, then we want we want to hear about it because, at the very least, somebody may be inspired to create something uh, of their own um, in a place that's not Edinburgh, and anybody from Edinburgh or there or thereabouts may be inspired to uh, to roll up. So you be as promotional as you like, Bill. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, one of the things we have is basically we're not affiliated with any particular venue or any particular group or whatever it's just a community for gamers to come together and basically i i want to run a game you know who who wants to play yes um, you might be in my place it might be in a pub or whatever i mean at the moment i think we're playing in about three or four different uh places across Edinburgh on any given day right um this is, are pubs pretty open to you playing there, or do they prefer you to choose a, like a not Friday or Saturday night, and then you can have a back room? Or how is that received? Or are there some people that are some publicans that are that are, that are in the know? Or, or how do you go about organising something like that? It's hard to say because there's some pubs that are quite open to it, and then there's some pubs that are, shall we say, uh, mercurial. Some yes. say, oh yeah, you can play this week, you can't play next week. Uh, right, okay, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's the, that's part of the problem. Um, a lot of stuff is just a it's a, just a chance for gamers to meet other gamers and things yes. like that. We have the occasional pub meet as well, but just because folks a chance to meet up. But um, right. a lot of a lot of time you find it's not just pubs. You know, we have right. uh, 
we have sort of bar. I think I'll give a shout out to some of the pubs, places we do, we do, do that. Uh, if it's, it's okay, but uh, the Meadow Bar in Edinburgh is definitely a gamer-friendly pub. The what um, pub's that? Sorry, the Meadow Bar. Meadow Bar, right? Okay, right by the Meadows, I presume. Uh, Meadow Bar. Uh, um, it has a free function room. Uh, right. Just not on Saturdays because we're, we're playing. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Illegal Jacks is a bar and grill on Loaded Road. Uh, right. Also loves to play. Uh, I just trying to remember a few of the others. The Chanter. Um, just trying to think who else. Well, the end of Game Stop, obviously. Uh, yes. As you can see from the background noise. Right, uh, but the, yeah, uh, that's not licensed. That's not licensed, though, right? Yeah. Sorry. That's not a licensed premises in terms of. It's of, not a licensed uh, premises. No, um, alcohol's not required to play RPGs in. <laughs> no, no, I was just saying, like you're mentioning pubs there, and if people wanted to go to, uh, yeah. like, just say, for example, somebody is, is like out and about the place and wants to have a drink, but maybe might want to get into a conversation about that type of thing, then these yeah. these places um, are, are good. Like there's um, the Cumberland Street Bar is another good one as well. It's, uh, right. That's uh, it's mainly board games that play there, but right. You know, there's a lot of folk there that will. You know, the, the, if you go to the back room in the Cumberland Bar on a Sunday night, I think it is, there's probably a bunch of board games playing there. Right. Okay. Great. Great. Because that's yeah. the thing about uh, that's the thing about bars in uh, in England in general. Like they they're called public Scotland. houses. Right? Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say I was going to say I was going to I was going to attend with with Scotland and Wales and, and Northern Ireland and Ireland as well. But they were called uh, they're called uh, public houses, right? Because back in the day. Um, like there were places, there were places for the public to, to hang to hang out, right? And that's yeah. that's sort of that's really carried through to uh, even to the modern day, where people will go there, and it's actually a social, um, it's a social a social hub, right? Yeah. And and so that type of um, group activity is is encouraged. Not it's not just a place to uh, to go and to drink. It's a place we can go and meet with friends and hang out, and yeah. and that. That, like you say, the board game and stuff like that is uh, is acceptable. Now, I know that there's a place in Ed, uh, that in Edmonton here uh, called the Druid, um, which has a meeting for role playing there. I don't know if it's they still meet on Monday nights, but um, I don't. There's nobody busts out any games or anything like that. So, I think that uh, yeah, I think that um, probably if you're in England um, and you're listening to this, that's that your, your public houses might be more inclined to i mean i wouldn't go to a wine bar or uh, <laughs> or to, an, or to a nightclub to try and start up something like that but if it's a sort of a, a neighborhood pub then that then that may be a, a good a good option for you so we, what's the name of the website that people can go to bill to uh to find it out or Edinburgh, or maybe even to uh contact people to see about starting up their own branch of the uh of, um, the, of, a, of a gaming club of some kind to be honest if you, if you want to visit the orc edinburgh website it's orc edinburgh all one, all the words. .co.uk. Right. Um, but you can also, if you just Google Edinburgh Gaming, uh, yes. you'll probably find that an Edinburgh Gaming website crop up. It's one of my own website, uh, www.themandragora.com. Right. Uh, which will, should show up. Uh, right. Which gives you a guide to basically all the different venues. Also, one of the things I've done is also given a link to things like the comic shops and things like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, you know, just all the stuff that you might folk might be interested in Edinburgh. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a great resource. In fact, when I went to, I was in uh, England, Europe, um, a couple of years ago, and I found I contacted Bill through um, Orc Edinburgh. It was it's very well set out, and there's lots of good resources and and things available um, on there. So I, I thoroughly recommend it. And uh, are you happy, Bill, for people to contact you if they want to start up a group? Maybe ask. Some oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
because yeah. yep. you're a um, you're you're a pretty handy guy when it comes to uh, knowing your way around a computer as well. So that may be uh, yeah. those are some some good skills to have when you're starting something up. A lot of people nowadays are uh, getting yeah. to things through the internet um, and maybe even organising games online. Have you tried any uh, Hangouts games like uh, like this Hangout, um, but with the people role playing different systems? I've, I haven't really. It's not one of the things I'm. I'm not online very often, as it were. Uh, right. It's too much like bringing your job home. It's a busman's holiday for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, like I get home at half past six at night. It's like, yeah, I just want to show TV and vegetate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, understood. Understood. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, when do you play usually then? Like you yourself, how often do you play? Um, most of the time, I'm. I don't play. I'm more like run. Right? It's more like right, uh, right. Saturday afternoons. Right. Um, at the moment, I'm running an AD and D in the WFRP session for two right. weeks. Right. Um, but just the other week, I ran something called The Void. Right. Which is the latest uh, RPG from Wildfire. Uh, which is uh, from, from whom, sorry? Wildfire. Wildfire, it's a, right, okay. It's a survival horror RPG. It's yes. Hard sci-fi. Right. Um, I ran that just yesterday, and it's very good fun. Um, yes. So what I decided to do is rather than run games every single, every fortnight or whatever. Occasionally, yep. just once a month, I might just run a one-off or yep. run something unusual, because uh, yes. just just to keep your, your head going, as it were. Keep That's right, yeah, yeah, for going. sure. For sure, yeah. I think the variety is a spice of life when it comes to uh, role-playing games. You can kind of, I mean, there are some times when you've got a, a good narrative going on, a character-driven sort of uh, tale where you want to sort of find out what happens next for the, for the group, but there are other times when, you know, just doing something different is, like, if you're a GM, I, I thoroughly recommend... Um, throwing in a, even a, like every once in a while doing a, a one shot or something completely different, like Bill says, you know, to, to keep your, your mind moving, but also it prevents you from sort of dreading the next session where you kind of, you already know what's going to happen five or not. You don't know exactly maybe, but you know, you've got a good idea of what's happening and where, where things are going. And then sometimes it's just nice to, to, um, to sort of break out of that linear, well, Again, not linear. Um, there are all these people saying, no, the character should be trying to decide what's happening in the story. But I think that everybody knows what I mean. When the story, everybody sort of picked up their character backgrounds and stuff like that, there are there are certain directions that, that the game is likely to head in. And doing something to sort of blow the lid off that every once in a while is, I think, is a, I think is a good idea. So kudos to you there. So, um, you uh, so would you say you've mentioned it a few times now? So would you say that sci-fi is your favorite uh, your favorite genre? Not really. I mean, I, I tend to sort of cross genres quite regularly and I'm, I'm not a, i don't read a lot of sci-fi shall we say right um, i tend to i tend to focus more on the fantasy genre but uh, when i'm running stuff I, I tend to run whatever games are that have appealed to me as it were right uh, as, as as a system but not so much you know i don't really have a genre as such right um i i quite if there's anything i quite enjoyed running some of the sci-fi stuff or you know i quite enjoyed running the dark ember setting that i have who's that for what uh, system is that for or is it anything, basically anything it's just like the whole concept of taking like a weird the whole all bits of piece of ember like ember is built on old ember for example right yeah yeah oh yeah there's lots of good stuff there yeah yeah, I, that, that was one of my favourite things: is digging into history, digging into the history yeah. of a place, and then just finding ways to to link that in with uh, with the meta sort of story and in some in some backgrounds. I did that for uh, Christchurch, where I used to live, um, and there's a lot of lot of stuff to uh, to hook into. Yeah, um, exactly. Historically speaking, but I doubt that it's even close to what there is going for Edinburgh. So, is there is there a place where people can uh, 
can get into any of that stuff, Bill? Have you posted any of that stuff publicly, or is it something? Not, you've... not really. It's, it's 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 like scattered across the internet, as it were. You know. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it's on it's on parts of it on my website, but it's all more or less like more or less like uh, it's nothing concrete, shall we say? Right. Uh, sure. There's just it's just ideas ephemera. Right, okay. Um, so maybe that'll maybe that'll spark something. So check out uh, you can check out the Mandragora maybe and find some Mandragora depending on where you like to put your uh, emphasis. Um, so what's your favourite role playing book? Like if you only could have, have one book with you on your desert island, what role playing book would you uh, would you take with you? Um, it depends on my point of view in the mind, but at the time, but uh, at the moment I would probably suggest it's WFRP. Right. First edition. First edition, uh, there, there's, yeah. is that important? Um, probably because the third one is more or less a board game. But uh, oh, is that right? Same, okay. You can say the same. You can say the same about uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, third edition, and the same thing about uh, Warhammer, uh, not Warhammer, Dungeons and Dragons, fourth edition. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, if you've got cards and you're using specialist dice and things like that. Yes. You know, you've crossed over into sort of more of a um of a war a war games type thing right like the emphasis is is on the the physical location rather than on the uh, the character's interaction with that location so so yeah, I'm, I'm with you there i mean this, I, i've said it before you know there's there's a place that it's not that's just not my my type of uh, game when i'm looking to do role playing um so if you now if you were stuck on that desert island, you were going to take four people with you. Which four people would you, you take to play to play an awesome game? Now can't be any game designers or any of the people you play with currently, so you don't get yourself in trouble. And you can't uh, and and you can't choose Gary Gygax or anything like that, or or any family members who may have uh, passed away that you want to see again. It's got to be four people that you're going to uh, you're going to take with you. So actors or singers or people from your past perhaps or or anything like that. Who would you take with you to play Warhammer Fantasy yeah. role playing? Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Uh, just because <laughs> I'd be interested to see how the two of them spark off each other. <laughs> That's right, yeah, quite apart from anything else. But yeah, I mean, uh, both of them. Boris Johnson. Bor oh, yeah, right, nice. Yeah, Boris Johnson. Yeah, everybody needs someone to vote off the island. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Boris Johnson, for anybody that doesn't know, is the is the mayor of. He's still the mayor, right? Is the election I coming so. up? I think so. He's the Lord Mayor of... He's the Lord Mayor of... Is he Mayor of London or is he... Uh, because London. Did they... Did they... Did they, uh, did they um, I've lost my word here. But is the Lord... Is the Mayor of London the same as the Lord Mayor of the um, the city of Westminster? Like, is there a separate Mayor for Westminster? I don't know. Possibly. But, yeah, have they joined those two together? Or not? Yes. Anyone that wants to look into their, uh, London history or... If you uh, yeah, if you look at um, if you want to buy Victoria and and uh, and read the bit about there, I've got about the Bow Street Runners. I talk about that a little bit, but there's actually a, a city within the city of London, which is the city of Westminster or city of Westminster, really, is the way it's pronounced. Um, and you can find out about about those two sort of areas. There's a very distinct um, boundary between the two um, places, and the, the police dress differently, and the streets are named differently. Uh, sorry, um, street signs look slightly different, and and all that within that city within a city. And Boris Johnson is the mayor of London, but I don't know if he's the mayor of London and of Westminster, or whether there was actually two, two there. But anyway, I'm digressing. Sorry, we're getting we got Boris Johnson there, so uh, we can vote him off the island if we want to. We can make make, make sure he's the one that climbs the tree to get the coconuts down. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> so you last person to be Queen Victoria. The last one to be Queen Victoria. Oh dear. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, Queen Victoria. You know, just 
Yeah. Queen right. Victoria, which okay. Queen Victoria? Are we talking about pre pre the death of um, uh, Albert? That, like, yeah, because no one ever talks about that. I'm just... Yeah, yeah. We... Well, I talk about that in my book, Bill. Well, thank you for seeing what I mentioned. My, I promise this last time I mentioned in my books. But, yeah, there's a big bit in the book about that, yeah. She's very much a different – she's a different sort of person. Um, she was obviously very much in love with uh, Albert, which at that time is is strange in as much as it was arranged marriages. So I guess it was just lucky that the two of them uh, met each other. But, anyway, Albert died when she was 40, maybe I'm saying, 30-something. I can't remember exactly. But she became queen when she was only 18. Her, her uh, uncle, King George IV, um, just managed to hang on long enough for her to be able to become queen. So there was no need for a regency because her mother, which was also who was also named Victoria, was apparently a nasty piece of work who was uh, was influenced unduly by um, a chap whose name escapes me now. But anyway, she was 18 um, when she ascended the throne. And, and mostly people think of her as being this sort of dowdy, staid, unsmiling, unhappy woman. But she became that way after the death of Albert, as best I can tell anyway, and was quite young and vibrant and vivacious before that. And uh, if you want to look up Queen Victoria and get a feeling of what she looked like before she was old, if you like, she's actually quite, um, you actually get a very different impression of her. So so those are the, those are the four. And you're going to play Warhammer fantasy role-playing because it's the only book on the island, right? Uh, that'd be interesting. I think at least we can use it to find something. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, who's, are you going to run the game or are you going to get Neil Gaiman to run the game or Stephen Fry or... Stop that. We'll get Neil Gaiman to run the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be a whole bunch of exposition. You'd never get a chance to do anything with the character, which may or may not necessarily be a bad thing. Like listening to Neil Gaiman tell stories for hours at a time might not be a bad thing. But, yeah, yeah so um, right on. So would you say that four is the perfect number of people to role play with? Six. Six, Six is the like... number for me. Uh, basically, I always uh, I gamble on four, expects, but expect six. Right. Okay. So, okay. So, you're are you saying six plus one or five plus one? Uh, I would always say that basically, if you have a game where you only have six players, yes. all of them will turn up. Right. I see what you're saying. Right. It's what I call gamer lag. Yeah. Right. Do you do you find though that that um, that that can create problems for games where the plot is largely character driven, like not having somebody there, that whole sort of arc drops away. If you've got something that's more um, more structured, um, where, you know, like, just, just say, for example, you're down in a dungeon. The dungeon's not affected by the person not being there. But if you're playing a game that is uh, structured around the personal um, trials and tribulations of the characters within the game, then not having one of them there makes a problem? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, I try and hope for six players normally. Right. Um, the biggest problem you get is if you're doing anything that's like a non-dungeon based, mm -hmm. uh, shall we say, or something that's been driven by a particular plot line or the players, if they don't turn up or they yes. don't let you know in time. Yes. It's like a sort of, you know, you're, you're left high and dry. You know? That's right, yeah. Cause that's, one of, that's one of the reasons why I call it game of lag. You know, you tell folks to turn up at 12.30 and they turn up at one. <laughs> that's know? right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're expecting them to come, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's one of the problems you always get, you know, in anything where nowadays it's less a problem. Though. I, th I think I remember Gary Gygax talking about the fact that his original gaming group used to be like 20 players. Oh, my God. And the, and the reason why he had 20 players is because he knew that only six of them would turn up on them. Right, right, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. But maybe the answer is to basically have PCs, your player characters, that are 
not controlled by a particular player. Oh, is that right? Okay. How does that go? That's badly, usually, but especially <laughs> <laughs> if they die. Um, but you know, if, if a player character invested time in, if a player has invested time in creating them, then you expect them to own that character as it were. That's well, yeah, you would hope, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the trouble is, sometimes you get players that aren't turning up, like maybe one out of three weeks. Right, right. They can't make it. Um, in WFRP, it's quite easy because you say, "Oh God, my stomach's not going so good." Yeah, <laughs> I've right. Got the yeah. flux. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. If, yeah. Dungeon, if dungeon bashes, it's you know they can be healing or whatever, but um, right, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, barricade themselves behind a door or whatever, but um, or they've left the dungeon and uh, propping up the bar in the pub or whatever. Right, right, yeah, sure. Uh, um, like in the Temple of Elemental. Temple of Elemental Evil, for example. Yes, yes. You, know, you, you don't want to really leave that dungeon because it starts repopulating as soon as you leave. That's right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, you want to stay there. Somebody stays there all the time to stop the monsters growing again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if an evil GM. That's right, yeah. And, yeah but, but that wouldn't be that wouldn't be your bill, I'm sure. So how do you prepare for a game session? Um, basically, I usually just read over the adventure, uh, Try and get some decent handouts, as it were. Even if it's just like like a map of how far they've been to the dungeon, yes. or uh, maybe a recap of what he's done so far. I mean, I'm as a GM, I don't really feel the need to try and recap the last session. I think that's the player's duty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. I say for them, it, that's the, one of the best ways. And yes, they get the XP rewards for it, but yes, right, hand, yeah, it, gives yeah. it, it gives them the chance to actually. Yeah, for example, one of the one of my uh, PC, well, one of my players at the moment, he's writing in the style of his PC. Yes, you know, yeah, from, yeah. From the journal off, you know. Yes, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I always do. That. That's one of the things that I do as a as a, when I'm playing is as I do that exact thing. Like I write it in the journal of in the form of a journal for that. I try yeah. to use their voice, and it helps me to get inside the. Uh, Get inside the head of the uh, of the character, and it also makes interesting reading later on because a lot of the the fine points of the game can be lost along the way. You know, when you're not um, when you're sort of chronicling it, as as it were. Yeah. So that's something that I definitely do. And when I get home, I, I add some details to it. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> it depends on how much time there is, how much emphasis there is on uh, on group play, and how much there is on individual play. But generally speaking, I, I keep pretty up to date on the on the 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 notes as I go along, but you know, sometimes I add stuff to it afterwards and then I pass it into the GM and then they have a chance to, to go through it. But yeah, I think that's a if you want to encourage people to do that, then that's a that's a good idea for sure. Give them some XPs as well for uh, for doing it, then you get a pretty good um, and also sometimes if you're very lucky the players will actually put suppositions in there and things to check on next time. Like maybe this <laughs> yeah. or that you think, that's a good idea. I will do something with that. Yeah. That yes. um excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Thank you very much for figuring out what's gonna happen next time. Um so so yeah that's so and do you are you a daydreamer? Do you like writing things down? Do you how do you how do you keep things in line for uh for next time or or imagine what's gonna happen? Um I kind of know I know things down, but it's not usually a big issue of, as, as, it, as it were. Um, but basically, usually the players discuss what they're going to do the next session, you know, usually right. when they're leaving. And right, right. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, oh, yeah. You, you know, yeah. Uh, usually there's one player that says, you know what's going to happen next, yeah? Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to hit us with that can of something, isn't he? Yeah. Actually, I don't, but let's find out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ding! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, one of the things I quite enjoy doing is, uh, for me, it's some of the NPCs in the WFRP game I'm playing. Yes. It's coming up with stupid accents. 
right, right, yeah. really ridiculous <laughs> NPCs. And the whole point of the WFRP is it's supposed to be a grim, dark world of perilous adventure or something like that. Yeah. Right, right. This, it's a lot more fun to have a bit of humour in it as well. No, I think that's important. Yeah, you need you. I mean, that's the whole. That's the whole thing of of contrast, right? Like you've got. If it's going to be darkness, you've got to have a bit of light. If it's going to be grim, then you need to have a little bit of humour. It's all. If it's all of one thing, then it's it's not fun. And I mean, for myself, I know the games that I play. Um, we uh, spend a lot of our time laughing and making dumb jokes about each other's characters and and the things that have gone on. <laughs> I think that's an important part of it. I mean, there's a time for for gravity. Um, and there's also a time for levity, and I think that having that, if you try to force a certain tone on a game, you'll never, you'll never achieve it. You have to let mm. the the people get get to it uh, on their own. Um, and like you say, you know, having some levity in there as a contrast, I think, makes the darkness that much darker, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of went from a being like the oh, really po-faced, oh yes, uh, we're we're slogging through the mud up to our knees yeah. uh, in the street or something like that, to more like Pirates of the Caribbean, the stage where they're ramming lock gates. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, the, that's the thing, right? I mean, it should be it should be fun. Ultimately, you know, like if you're having fun, you're winning. I know it's a platitude, and but it's it's so true. You you if people aren't having fun, then I don't I don't think that uh, I think that you're sort of losing in a way. But um, it doesn't mean everything's have to go has to go the right way all the time. But yeah. But yeah, there's uh, there's something to be said for uh, for some levity in there, and certainly keeping your eye on the the fact that people are having fun is is, is pretty important. So, um, what's the best or a most inspiring sort of me media property, I suppose, if I want to be really sort of up to date when I use those terms? But what's something best thing you've seen or watched, or something that's really inspired you for uh, for running or, or writing a, a role playing game or, or a session? Something you watched and or read and said, you know, I want to play that game. I want to play a game about that right now. Well, I mean, admittedly, you know, it's coloured by my recent experiences. Probably the void. Right. Um, the right. void is uh, the latest. Pay what you want from uh, Wildfire. Yeah. Um, it's it's a hard sci-fi episode. Was, basically, the whole ethos was the stars were not meant for us. Um, something called Cthulhuian star is drawing right. close. It's like a comet or right. dark matter, and yep. it's waking up the old ones. Right. Okay. Uh, for, if you're familiar with Call of Cthulhu, you know yes. you know what's happening in there. And basically, it's it's hard sci-fi. As yes. in, you're all, you're all alone in space. The nearest you're not, you, humanity hasn't left the solar system, and last right. night I watched Alien. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, well, I've been watching the Alien movies recently. Uh, yes. The night before I watched it, I watched Alien just to get myself in the mood. So right, right. That, right? You know that whole open door or open air shaft just above the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you know, just that whole darkness. Yes. And because someone sooner or later is going to go and look in that. That's true. Right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's unavoidable. But, yeah. I mean, it's definitely the, at the moment just because I tend to be sort of free and easy, as, as it were. Um, depends on how my mood is going, but definitely uh, Alien and Aliens was the, the movie that I've been watching in the last week or so. Right. Just to get some ideas for running an adventure, because all you've got to do to say to your players is skitter. Something, no, right, yeah, skitters, yeah, yeah. something skitters across the floor out of view of your lights, and they yeah, yeah. crap themselves. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's, it's a very evocative word. Yes, definitely. And if you're in that sort of setting, then it, it only there's only one sort of thing that you can imagine. It's the sound of, of chitin over metal or something like that, right? Some, yeah. some bug-like creature that may or may not be looking to um, plant something in your belly, for sure. So, yeah. 
Um, do you have any dice to superstitions or have you experienced any strange role-playing superstitions? Um, I've experienced, I haven't got any myself, but I have experienced the whole fact, the, the fact that someone will roll my dice and say they're lucky dice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I'm the GM. How is it lucky for you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few guys that basically, I know, that do the warm-up rolls. Yeah, right, nice. This is, yeah. This is a warm-up roll. This is, uh, and occasionally ask somebody, yeah, was that your warm-up roll? That's my warm-up roll, yeah. <laughs> when, they, when they get a worse roll, it's, yeah, that's my warm-up roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, uh, for a few years, uh, oh, for maybe a year, I played a fantastic character that basically seemed to roll 20s on demand. Right, sure, nice. In a D20 game. You know, yes. natural twenty to D three point five game. I mean, yes. it, it became sort of legendary in that game, as yes. in the fact that every game he'd be running a rolling a deep natural twenty. Yes, right. Uh, whereas the other the other fighter would be rolling a one. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's so, all gonna. There's um, cosmic balance there somewhere. But I, I'd love I love that character. I thought I'll just retire him, but because uh, he, he just, he's just too lucky to right, too lucky right. to survive. But um, I don't have any. I don't have any. I don't have any super super. Uh, superstitions myself because it's just i think the whole dice rolling thing is you know it just where they fall what i really hate is the players that basically just turn the hands yes as in the dice should bounce at least once yeah especially yeah 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 <laughs> some of the, I, i'm sure some of these guys are just trying to that's right you know, they figure they can they spend ages, like... ages counting the dice in the hand and they seem yeah, to just yeah. flip it over yes yeah. right this once the um so can they can they combat that by shaking the dice around in their hand first and then dropping it oh yeah yeah that's all right yeah no bouncing required then okay so um if you could be um if you found yourself in a role-playing setting um so as you bill were in a role-playing setting what role-playing setting would you choose and and what would you be well, it certainly wouldn't be a Call of Cthulhu one. <laughs> <laughs> not investigator, uh, not investigator in 1920s I, New England. Yeah, I think it'd probably be a fancy one. Um, right. Hopefully, the guy is sending the PCs to the test usually. But, uh, oh, sealing them out. Yeah, the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go out there, <laughs> do yeah. that, and bring me treasure. <laughs> the, level, the level 20 art march or whatever. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, they've, they've got easy. Uh, Recent Magia style, style without the cough. Right, um, right. I, I would love to. I'd love to have that kind of particular role, just to, or even you know the king. You know, right, it's good to right. be king. Yes, it'd be nice not except, to star. Yeah. Except, except if you Game of Thrones, but uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind that sort of role. It's just a being, king, but not in Westeros. Probably not in Middle Earth as well. Nothing good happens to kings in uh, Middle Earth either. Yeah. Well, unless you're the yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the whole thing is that if you if you fancy significant NPC, uh, yeah. you can have a lot of fun. Yes, right. Yeah. Being that NPC to say, yeah, guys, I owed you. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Go away. Yeah, exactly. yeah go away. Do that. Yeah. So, who's your favourite villain and why? It's difficult to say. Really difficult to say. Um, I've been through a lot through a lot of them in the last few years. Um, Francis Urca, I believe I mentioned before, in the House of Cards, um, right, the British right. BBC version. Right. Um, Have you seen the American version? I haven't, not yet. Uh, I right. suspect it's probably relatively similar, but probably yeah. a bit more squeezy. Yeah. Um, the Emperor from Star Wars. Right. 
And recently, I have to admit, uh, Lord Lannister. Right, right, yeah. For Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Charles. Well, Charles Dance plays him. I, I just, I tried to, I tried to figure out how the hell they got the horse to crap <laughs> on, on yeah, yeah. when it basically comes in for his confirmation. But time is it Tywin Lannister? Tywin. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Tywin Lannister. Tywin yeah. Lannister. Yeah. Just perfect, perfect role. Perfect guy. It's just scary as hell. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'll do what's necessary. And, um, uh, Darth, uh, like I said, the Emperor, you know, Darth, Darth Sidious, doesn't. Yes. Uh, not from a Jedi. <laughs> no, yeah. I think I love that kind of whole concept of a, of a villain that will basically put his places and pieces in place, and doesn't really matter. He may not be particularly powerful yeah. physically or anything like that. It's all fact that no matter what you do, you're going to have like twenty armed crossbowmen. If you're level twenty or something like that, you, you're going to have. 20 armed crossbowmen pointing them at your head. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. do what? Yeah, like you say, all your ducks right. So, so you uh, admire a. So, is Tywin Lannister a? Uh, is Tywin Lannister a bad? Is Tywin Lannister a villain, or is he the hero of his own story? I wouldn't say he's a hero. I, he's doing what he thinks is right. Right. But he's a, I, I would call him a sociopath, really, because he's he thinks he's doing what is right, but he's brutalised his children. It turns a blind. He turns a blind eye to uh, Cersei and uh, right and uh, uh, James, Jamie, uh, yeah, Jamie, James, uh, Jamie's uh, incest and things like that. Yep. Um, Tyrion, you know, he has a use for, and there's yeah. the whole concept that he is just like, I'm going to hold on to power no matter what it takes. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. what is right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think he's the definition of lawful evil, as it were. Yeah, you think? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't seem, but, he, but I don't know. Does does Tyrion will Tyrion throw people under the bus? Like I haven't I haven't seen him throw anybody good under the bus. Yeah. Like, and that's what I would expect. Because I would expect somebody who was lawful evil to be un, would be uncaring about who he sacrificed to meet his ends, right? Like his his uh, um, his consort. Uh, but not Tyrion, Tywin. Tywin's definitely. Oh, you're talking about Tywin, sorry. I thought you said Tyrion. Okay, Tywin. Yeah, yeah. Tywin. Oh, yeah, Tywin. Sure. Evil dad. That's right. Yeah, Tywin. Do you think that a good villain needs to be lawful evil? I don't think so. I mean, you could have a. Basically, when you think about it, the Inquisitors from. Not, I was going to say Spanish Inquisition, but no one expects Spanish Inquisition. From. They were. If you want to really. They were lawful goods. Um, right. Uh, when you think about it, they're doing the right thing, you know, because they, they believe that the rule of law is absolute. Yes. Um, so you shall not suffer a witch to live. Mm -hmm. uh, burn the heretic. Uh, you know, the whole, yeah. that whole concept. Yes. Um, but essentially, you know, at some point, you know, the whole lawful concept gets into that, drifts across into that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We will we'll have a confession by any means necessary. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the. That's the whole thing about that axis, right? Like having that, that, uh, I mean, that axis of law and um, evil and chaos and good actually creates quite a lot of complex um, interpretations, which I think yeah. probably uh, deserve more exploration than they, than they get, right? Like this idea of, like you say, you know, the inquisitors from the Spanish Inquisition 
who would be lawful good, but the thing is that good is so subjective, right? Law is law is easy to understand, but what is what is good, right? That's the yeah, it's the it's a thing. So, so yeah, so that's a a little nugget for somebody who's playing Dungeons and Dragons or something at the moment, having a look at, you know, turning those turning that pantheon of gods, or sorry, looking at that pantheon of gods from a from a slightly different perspective and seeing maybe where some of those gods are, you know, maybe are not quite the definition of good that you thought they perhaps were, or maybe some of those gods that are defined as evil, and maybe if you look at it from the right angle, are not actually evil, and that may create some interesting sort of, um, yeah, interesting questions. Um, I, mean, I, I, I always look at it, you know, alignments a guideline. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. a, so, shall, shall we say, chaotic evil gods, yes. um, for example, in the Greyhawk setting, Io's the demigod, chaotic right. evil. He's a vicious bastard. Um, <laughs> yeah. word. You know, he, basically, he is chaotic evil, but he's, you know, he has a gate to the gate to the abyss. He has fiends yes. turning up on a regular basis. I mean, he, yeah, he's evil. Uh, he, but, you know, even then, he, ha- he has a hierarchy. Yes, yeah. Uh, as it, you know, you know, chaotic evil. You, you expect folks to struggle. The whole, the whole concept of Salvatore's drow, for example, is yes. one of constant chaos. Yes. Um, but even then, it, they still have a strict hierarchy. You know, the, the houses are all organised. Yes. Um, but um, I always find alignment more of a tool yes. rather than an actual uh, arbitrary guideline. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, it throws up just interpreting those throws up some interesting ideas about how some of these gods might act, and by proxy, you know, the people that follow them might might act in any given situation, right? It can create could create a uh, an interesting uh, line of investigation for the uh, for the characters. So, uh, what uh, causes a role playing game to die before it reaches a sort of a, a plot conclusion? Um, there's one of the things I would think is like the GM burning out. Uh, right. Basically, the, he just doesn't have enough plots to go on. Uh, uh, the other thing is players not turning up. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've always found that if you, you know, your players aren't turning up on a regular basis, you don't, they're only playing like maybe three out of six, shall we say. Yes. And you maybe just call it a day. Right. Um, right, for sure. And the thing is, is basically, I suppose it's a system or anything else. Uh, if you've got a system there that folk aren't willing to play, and yes, uh, you know, folk will find excuses just to walk out. And right, right, yeah, for sure. But you know, it's also regular play. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's a pretty common thread is, is regularity, right? Like, make sure you pick a, a venue that's good for people and a time and a day that's good for people to yeah. to attend. And then once you get that, that's really that's really half the half the battle, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least once a fortnight, uh, more than a, you know, if it's once a month, you're not going to you you're just gonna, folk are just going to drift away and lose interest. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but once a fortnight works works okay for us at Orc. Uh, for yes. me, is personally right. Uh, right. But for and at least four hours play if you can get it. Right. Yeah. Uh, just sure. Less than that, you know, you you're really on a hiding to nothing. That's nothing right. Yeah. Get if down you, particularly if you've got six players. If you've got three or four, I think you'd probably be all right. But yeah, when you've got six players, you need to have you need to have you know at least half an hour of, of spotlight time. I would think for each person, um, which is not to say they're the only ones doing anything, but like a feeling of being in the spotlight for for half an hour. Uh, a game is probably is probably a good idea. I mean, there's going to be lots of combined stuff, but but if you're not finding you've got enough stuff for your character to do, that can be a uh, an incentive, a disincentive to turn up next time if you're just sort of being a passenger. I mean, unless you want to do that, which I suppose is possible, but yeah. you want to make, give you guys a chance to to do something. You're not having enough time to do that, particularly if you've got six means. 
you know, like you need to have a decent a decent length session. So uh, what's your role-playing elevator pitch and your go-to example of place? Somebody says, hi, Bill, what are you doing this evening? You say, I'm going role-playing. And they say, role-playing, what's that? And then you say? Uh, well, usually I'd say it's a chance for you to... I always talk about interactive fiction, as it were. Right. Basically, you're playing a character in a world. Um, it's very rare that someone comes up to ask, ask me that, of course, but... <laughs> um, um, Could happen. These, these, days, these days, it's easier. These right. things easier. You folks say, um, "Oh, I'm going gaming." Oh, no, I'm right, right, right. Yeah. Because the folks, "Oh, I'm going a sort of pen and paper role playing." And they say, right. oh, "What's that?" I says, "Well, it's like World of Warcraft, but it's like, but except this is what invented World of Warcraft." Right. You know, yeah. yeah. Around, the six of us sitting around a table, and we're we're going through a sort of setting. A, yes. Most folks say, "Oh, wait, wait, wait." Well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a, yeah, so just sitting at home staring at a computer screen for like hours and then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Entities, yeah. yeah, that's true. All, all that has changed is the, pa the paper is just literally on the screen now. You know, that's right. Yeah. Cases, but I always find that RPGs I could do a lot more fun, a lot more fun in RPGs than I do on the yeah, uh, yeah. online. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, there's this whole personal interaction thing which you don't get from a Warcraft. Yeah. Like you can type and stuff, and I know that you can use headsets and so forth, but I don't. You don't get you, the setting doesn't, or sorry, the, the computer doesn't um, encourage that aspect of role playing, which for me is my favourite part. For some people, maybe uh, that are that like the number crunching and stuff like that, you know, that that is almost as good. But for myself, I know I prefer that that interaction, which you don't get um, yeah. from a from a, a computer based game. There's this whole social interaction as well. I mean, there's a whole concept of gamers just of oh yeah we're loners blah 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 the fact is you know yeah you, you hear a bunch of gamers talking in a pub about yes. some of the stuff they've done yeah and then i stabbed him in the face <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. and that's how we overthrow the kingdom guys <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah that's right there are some interesting non sequiturs that you can pick up at, uh, at conventions or like you say like if you're in a pub with a bunch of role players oh yeah well i think the thing is it's just as well just listening to six players talking about uh, their session or whatever mm. it's incredibly good fun as well just it's just sitting in pubs this is why it's a social interaction mm. um, that's right yeah yeah. You know, it's, it's like one of my players in WFRP. He's got is an elf. He's Captain Priscilla. Yes. Uh, Captain <laughs> of the Queen of the Reich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, and it's become a whole concept of a. It's the boat has become home for her. Right, and right. A bunch yeah. of players that have just really got really fond of things like uh, the discreet figureheads battering yes. ram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. The, the whole concept of just having that boat and uh, at one point it just turned into a whole the, they still have fun recounting the whole concept where they, they and a bunch of mercenaries decide yes. that they could, the only way they can get out of this uh, lock gates where they're being attacked is to ram them so it's like yes. 18 lock gates and it becomes like a Pirates of the Caribbean sequence so you have yes. a bunch of screaming PCs hanging yes. onto the mast right. <laughs> half thing in the crow's nest they get yeah, yeah, yeah. into the river that's right know? yeah that's the and they just they just, they just loved it it's, that's right that's right. I mean, it's, that's just the magic of having a bunch of people together sharing an experience, right? Like everybody yeah. gets on board and they an idea coalesces and then and then you go with it. It's something that you can't you definitely can't capture in a in a computer game and is you know like I think is singular um, yeah. in uh, in in life really. I mean, you can you can have great conversations with with people about uh, various different things, but when you create something during a conversation, I think that's what's enduring. Yeah. 
Um, and certainly not something you can recapture. Okay, got a few verses here uh, for you, Bill, before we hit the final question. So, uh, Gandalf or Dumbledore? I'm Gandalf. Did you sound so certain? Why? He fought bloody Balrog, didn't he? Oh, yeah. And? Dumbledore topped himself. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but that's, it was a heroic sacrifice. Was that a heroic sacrifice or what? Yeah, well, it's heroic sacrifice, it's heroic sacrifice. But basically, Gandalf got the XPs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gandalf did get a lot of XPs. I'm just trying to remember my Merp right now, how many XPs there are for a Balrog, because I think the Balrog is actually in Merp. But, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. I'll give you that. Gandalf does get the XPs. Okay, so what about Hermione or uh, Princess Leia? Um, Blonde and Brunette, difficult. <laughs> At any given time. <laughs> Both, preferably. What about Harry Potter or uh, or Luke Skywalker? Um, I think we are Harry Potter because the kid does the kid does good. It yeah, where, him, yeah, Luke doesn't do good. Um, he's got father issues, daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> that that is true. See, that is true. The, the sins of the father are visited in the son. <laughs> That's right. All oh, right, okay. So what about um, Indiana Jones or John McClane? Ah, uh, well, depends on the circumstance. Um, John McClane, if I was like three miles away. <laughs> yeah. uh, Indiana Jones, if I was in the immediate vicinity, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, the last question then, Bill. Um, if you had one role-playing related wish, what would it be? Um... Role that uh, I could basically have all the supplements I needed for any given game at any given time. I said, like, in the ideal world, I'd be able to like basically flip a sticky thing onto onto the onto a screen, 3D screen, to show players. Yes. The, the ultimate handout, whatever. So this is what you see. Right, right, nice. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Heron. Thanks, Bill. Okay, thank you, always, mate. <laughs> and that's it for episode 84 of Penny Red. And until next week, keep talking the walk. Right, hello and welcome to episode 27 of Finny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and your host. With me today inside the Roleplay Studio, I've got Bill Heron from Edinburgh. I'm on holiday uh, looking around the place and I hooked up with a local gamer who was happy to speak with me, even though I spent an awfully long time getting here. But I'm going to blame some of that on the construction in Edinburgh. It's more of it on the fact that it's the Fringe Festival here in uh, Edinburgh. So, or just the festival, really, I suppose it is. So, hey, Bill, how's it going? Oh, fine, thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Great. Um, well, one of the first questions I want to ask, for those that uh, don't know you, is how long have you been role-playing? Um, well, I have to think about it. That tells you how long. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. It's probably often about... Yeah. Over thir- well, getting on for almost 30 years now. Well, well, you must have been in almost from the start, were you? Yeah, I, I started off as a kid playing fight, fighting fantasy. Right. Being a fighting fantasy book. Sure. What's your favourite? <laughs> oh, God. Favourite are ones you complete or <laughs> Well, just 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 your favourite. My favourite one is the City of Thieves. City of Thieves, one. I remember that. That's really difficult, but probably one of the best city adventures ever written. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, you've got to find those five things, right? Like in Port Black Sam, Zan Barbone, Citadel. But there's so many instant kills. Uh, instant kill results in that one. But I think what's it? 
Death Trap Dungeon. Death Trap Dungeon, yeah, that's number six. Yeah, that's, that was, um, yeah, that's, that's a perennial favourite, that one, I think. And the other one was Caverns of the Snow Witch, because it seemed, yeah, I went to the dungeon bash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit more of a... Yeah, that's right, yeah. I was, I was trying the other day to remember which one was number nine, but that's number nine, I think, Caverns of the Snow Witch, right? Yeah. You're right on. So you started with Fighting Fantasy, um, and uh, then how did you get into uh, role-playing? It's more or less something that happened at school, really. Um, when I was at school, the teacher strikes were off. Okay. And those ended and then found out they'd been uh, a Dungeons and Dragons club yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And they only met for like one, yes. an hour on a Monday afternoon after school. Right. My teacher, I know, was just there to supervise, and that was it. Yeah. Right, sure. Um, I think my first game was a traveler game. Right. Where, uh, I think I actually turned the gun on the ship itself. Right. That's kind of itself. Some convoluted plot involved tobacco smugglers. Sure. Which we found some traces of tobacco or something like that. Right. But we're only there for an hour, and that's, that's literally my first exposure. Right, right. Did you know, it blow the top of your head off? You're like, wow, this is great, I want to keep playing? Or? Pretty much. I, I, yeah. I knew a little bit about it, because I've seen the Fighting Fantasy yes. stuff mentioned. Sure. Like, with Out of the Pit. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. They were brilliant. Uh, yeah. I think they've just been reissued, actually. Yes, yeah, there is a new issue of But uh, for me, I think Fighting Fantasy has been resurrected. I think Ian Livingston's speaking at some computer games. Oh, is that right? Computer games thing, yeah. I can't remember the details of it, but sure. he's a fan of I got interacting. Well, so right. Oh, nice, nice. So, yeah, so I kind of went to that. Right. And what year was that, roughly? Do you know? Uh, 86. Right. So maybe, maybe not quite good. Maybe not quite Behind your screen, as it were. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, middle age, sure. Yep. Uh, after that, you kind of progressed to the line. Right, okay, sure. Did you play through all of the 15 modules or whatever it is? I think we got through probably about to 12 of them. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think the group that I had, we got through to number eight, I think it was. The one where you had to have battle system to play at the battle between the Draconians. Yeah. And, the, and we didn't have battle system, and so by the time we got everybody lost interest, so we never played. Yeah. It's very much the kind of lead your players through the nose. Oh, yeah very much all box text go here go there I really liked it though because up until that point I hadn't really played anything that had a good um, a lot of backstory written about the character and I really appreciated the backstory I mean some of them are a bit thinner than others but uh, I played Goldman who who were you um, I wanted to play Raceland. Who doesn't? Yeah, that's right. I got stuck. I got stuck with Tannis, and then when the group splits off, I think I got um, Derek Crownguard. Yes, I did play Derek Crownguard. Right. Um, I seem to remember the White Dragon. Right. Right. Yeah. And when we go, Treasure was being doing it randomly, and I got sure. a deck of many things. Oh, nice. Right. I, I was the one that got the next creature you meet. Uh, you defeat it in single combat. Is there any, like, gain another level? Right, so, right. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. sure. So we get on the ship. Now, yeah, yeah. as you know in the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. the white dragon is the one that attacks the ship. That's right, yeah, yeah. So I'm standing on the deck. Every five minutes, I think Sweet and Oakley be breathing, and it's like, yeah, I'm getting my ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I was Lorana. I don't know how I ended up playing both the girls in it, but I think I was Lorana when I uh, when, when, they, when the two split up. But, yeah. Yeah, not ideal. So you played Dragonlance and then... I think after Dragonlance, for a few years, everything kind of went a bit quiet, and then I got back, then I started running AD&D, right. Call of Cthulhu, right. um, a group of guys who actually really played properly before, right. which is quite interesting. Yeah. We started WFRP, the Emily yeah. Living campaign, right. something which I've just resurrected myself. Oh, so right, yeah, sure. Which is going to be interesting, because more looking back through it now, you can see some of the... 
potential for other games spinning off at the short sure, right, time. Right. Uh, nowadays, games like Vampire and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't play that, that style of games. So just, I found them a bit more excited. I got into Werewolf for the first position. Right, yeah. And of course, I got the whole meta plot thing. For yeah, that. sure, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you ever play Wraith? I didn't get that far. I got right. Vampire, Werewolf, Fusion, I was toying with me, and then this is costing me too much. Right, sure, yeah, there's a lot of books to buy. That yeah. And then, of course, Second Edition of Werewolf came out. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, I never touched any of the well, well, Second Edition, right, that's that's where, because originally they went minus one, two, three, four, five, right? And they went minus one, minus one, minus two, minus two, and minus five. Yeah. I'm not sure what are the major differences there were, but to the untrained eye, that's mostly what I first saw. Yeah. So, what are you playing now? At the moment, I'm not playing much, but as well. I tell a lie. I'm actually playing in a Pathfinder game every fortnight, right? DM, so own world, which seems to bear a lot of relationship to our. I think it's Wyoming in New Zealand. It's a Wyoming. We're in New Zealand. Sure. Right. Right. That's where, where we go. Right. Sure. Is he from New Zealand or are just, just He is from New Zealand, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, so, uh, what else? I just finished so running a Cthulhu Tech campaign. Right. How do you find that? It's pretty. Yeah, yeah. But not. It's a lovely looking game. Oh, yes. An artwork's to stifle. Right. Uh, you have to make a couple of changes if you're running it. I yeah, found sure. I mean, for example, there's, there's three levels of play you can have. Right. Obviously, there's a military-based campaign. Sure. There's the diver-style stages from basically well, based, based like the guy. Right, yeah. You know, it's a mon- monsters. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you have the more investigative styles of the Right, sure, yeah. One thing I did, though, was oh. I set it in Edinburgh. Yeah, oh, nice, yeah. 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 Just so you've got something that you can, you know, you play as can relate to. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I advocate using this. I actually use, I did the other way around. Like, I, I um, because I live in Canada now, but I lived in New Zealand previously, I used my um, my knowledge of um, cities in New Zealand, like I said, games in New Zealand, because they're a little bit, uh, a little bit different. But uh, is it Cthulhu Tech that there was a, they caught a lot of stick for recently? Like, sort of, all the, the forums blew up because of something about the way they were talking about the, like there was a rape in it, or something it's, like that. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. There's reference made to the fact he's a terrorist takeover. Right, yeah. It's mentioned. It's probably one line in the text. Sure. And it's just this whole concept. I mean, sure. It's not. It doesn't look glamorise it in any way. Sure. It's, it's a pretty horrific. Sure. Sure. It's just, there's, a, it's just, there's, a, it's just, there's also an image of deep ones coming out. Sure, right. That's all there is. Sure, I mean, you know, some players are probably not worse. Oh, no, sure. Absolutely. I've not seen it or really been I'm not familiar with those references, so I couldn't say. I mean, it's probably a storm in a teacup, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't know enough about it. So, I mean, for me, if you don't like something, you just ignore it. You don't want to stress it. I mean, sure. I mean, you know, think about what happened in Yugoslavia. Sure. It's happened before, it's happened again. Yeah, right. It's mentioned in a game. Yeah, right. They don't condone it, they don't ban sure. it. Sure, right, sure. Interesting. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, people like to have something to complain about, don't they? But there's yeah. uh, any listeners out there that uh, really feel strongly about the food check, drop me a line and uh, maybe we can talk about that and, and uh, have you got those other questions as well. But, um, 
Do what, so what would you say your role playing soulmate was? Like if there was one game that just that just got you, what uh, what would it be? I don't think I've found it yet. I can most games I tend to adopt and I play for yeah. The field tech is quite close to that. Yeah. Start when you start any, anything you kind of build around is and then you know, the games are, and uh, it doesn't disrupt anything. I think it's the same it's the same with my D&D campaigns you have fond memories of certain parts of it I think it's difficult to find a soulmate I know some players say D20 is a deal and then I've lost count of them the system you know whatever's appropriate yeah that's right oh sure I mean it's horses for courses isn't it I mean some people like a particular style of playing double deck the background and so forth yeah it's a yeah, maybe maybe one day, Bill. Maybe one day your soulmate will, uh, will come along. So, what's your favourite role-playing book? Like, you don't necessarily have to play it right now. You don't necessarily have to enjoy the system or whatever it is. But just something about that book. Every time you you, you see it or you touch it, or you, know, you can always open up, find something new, and it's something you like about it. It's just uh, always a comfort. Uh, you know, I have to be Cthulhu Tech and Warhammer, but then I'm vanishing that respect. Right. I mean, some of the things are just you're going through a certain point in your life. And maybe sure. It's sure. Being Cthulhu Tech, maybe it's honking great robots shooting Cthulhu. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes you just want to do that. That's right, of course, yeah. Well, that's, that's part of it, yeah. I think that's one of the quotes before the so in Cthulhu Tech, you finally, you finally get to shoot, shoot the bad guys in the face. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, this is payback for all the times you went crazy or died or both. You know, you get some back. So, so on the flip side of that, are there any games that uh, you wish you could cause to cease to exist? And you don't have to worry about um, people that you know liking it or you know offending anybody. It's just like it might just be a game that for whatever reason just didn't work for you or. You know, came along at a time in life and other unpleasant stuff was going on. You used to always make that association, or you just wish you could just wipe it off the, off the planet. There's two, really. One of them is actually a supplement. Um, right. First of all, the leading edges, aliens, are the RPG. Right. Okay. Okay. Why, why aliens? The RPG was bad about that. It was, shall we say, not just numbers heavy. Yeah. It was so esoterically built. Yes. Yes. So you, you had, I think it took about ten minutes to shoot a gun. Oh, is that right? It's, oh, is that right? To work out how to work it. Yeah, you know, work out the rules. Oh, work out the rules. Yeah. That, that you have to do that in the first place. But to actually resolve how. Right. So it's a super simulation. Is really on the simulation oh, end of the it was hideous. Yeah, yeah. I think we got ten minutes into it. Yeah, and you went something else. Something else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Any other one? Um, the Necroscope series is one of my favourite I say it's a way it's almost like it took the vampire legend and gave it a nasty Cthulhu twist. Right, sure. Um, I think in the States they're called, they're called E Branch right. or uh, Vampiri. Okay, sure. But certainly the Vampire World series are just. It's got a pretty nasty turn of mind. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. To be honest, if, uh, those are a lot more of could be brought more offensive than some of the content. Sure, so, right, yeah, oh, so, you, so you, it's, it's not even so much the system, it's actually the content was a bit, it's a bit dubious. Somebody enjoyed writing a little bit too much? Well, the thing is, I think what's so much that is the fact that it was supposed to be the whole ethos of the book is British mind spies. Sure. And they spend a lot of time talking about the authentic British part. 
Oh, is it right? Yeah. Rushes on the floor. Oh, is it right? Yeah. And the worst thing for me is he actually got Glasgow and Edinburgh mixed up as captain. Oh, well, there you go. This is an enough signal. Enough signal. That's an assault spot for the UK. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's So, are there any games or supplements you're particularly anticipating? Burning Horizons for Cthulhu. Right. Definitely. What about that? Just the fact that Cthulhu text product line has had so much hassle getting printed. Right, sure. Uh, Disc there, distributors keep dropping out and the printers keep pulling out. Oh, is that right? Uh, well, because the stick gets caught in the media? Or? No, 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 it's not even that. It's just the fact they're incredibly, incredibly unlucky with oh, their distributors. Yeah. The two is grab business and it's like shelving. Right, is that right? Or the printing. Mm. Right. I mean, they went through Mongoose first. Sure. I think they had Mongoose by then paced their license fees or sure. there was a royalties thing. Right, sure. And they did some very crappy print run, as it were. Sure. And they moved to, I think it's Catalyst, right. who didn't, again, didn't pay any license fees or anything. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so they ripped off again. I think the most recent one was Sandstorm, right. who basically decided they weren't going to do printing anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, they moved sure. into another thing, so they don't have much luck in that aspect. Right. Horizons, I'm just looking forward to seeing the artwork. Right. It's Mecca in space. Sure, right. Up against Star School, uh, Monster Sure, sure. What's hard to write? Yeah. So, if you could be only a GM or a player, which would you choose and why? I'd have to be GM. Why is that? I think, to be honest, at all. Uh, I, am, I enjoy running games and creating the various sort of situations more than I do actually being a player. Because when I play, when I find when I'm playing in the game, I'm often too mentally I'm criticising the GM. Every time. Yeah. Every damn time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I would have done it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah is that right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. not yeah. I think that's just the way my mind operates. Yeah, that's right. No, 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 sure. It must be annoying for you. You'd like to be able to switch that part of your brain off, right? But you're, you're always watching what's going on sort of from above. And yeah. That's especially true in a lot of games. You always have one player that tries to bogart. Yeah. 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 Always tries to bogart the mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think when it gets to the stage where the rest of it's been sitting on the back side for half an hour. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, as a GM, that's where the sort of target. So unless you go into the game and get time saying, look, you're going to have lots of downtime, yeah. and they take the, the trouble to either set up a scenario or set up something for you to talk about or think about with somebody else in the game or whatever it might be, or at least say, you know, bring a book because I know that this session is going to be a couple of you know, split party or you know, bring something along, but when you've got somebody running a game, you're ready, ready to play, and then they spend the time just sitting there doing nothing. That's, you know, that's... Shadow has been a classic case of oh, yeah, yeah. with Deckers. And that's right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've always found is do split seats. Right, yeah. Okay, you kick open the door. Right, here's what's happening in the other room. That's right, yeah, yeah. You've got to kind of yeah, jump back and forth. But I mean, that's good GMing, right? If you've got a, and that's it, I absolutely agree. If you've got a situation where you've got more than one thing going at a time, and um, instead of playing one all the way through, and then playing the other all the way through, and split that, split that time up so that when one person is doing something, you know, they do it for a little bit, and they switch it back over to the other person doing something a little bit, and back and forth, because for a couple of reasons, one, it keeps people interested, but it also, I think that it's good. You know, it's good manners to pay attention to what other people are doing as well. You know, you oh, yeah, get that, that crosstalk when you when you're not in the spotlight. No, I don't care anymore. It's, it's in my mind anyway. That's kind of rude, right? Like you should be you know, at least trying to pay attention to what's going on. At the very least, you should be not having crosstalk so it's hard for somebody to get through their uh, scene. If it's a situation where you'd rather not know what's going on for your own players' um, sort of background, well, I mean, there's nothing the GM can do about that. But yeah, as a, as a GM, having that those cutscenes, I think, is uh, or split scenes, you say, is. Uh, 
think it's a, it's a great way to uh, to deal with it. And so, have you ever found any games where you've enjoyed being a player, or you always find it difficult to? I always find it quite difficult, but I had a character named Raphael de Fabrizio, which is kind of ironic, it's a setting that I created myself, along sure. with, you know, the rest of the other GMs that walk. Sure. It's called the New World set. It was set in a... It was, well, it was set in a conquistadorial style... Uh, New World, New World setting by the sure. Americans. Sure. Right. With lizard men and aspects. Not that really a new concept. Sure. We introduced dinosaurs and things like that. Sure. And the whole concept was kind of left by the wayside at one point. So you didn't have enough GMs to it. I was running it. Another GM picked up it a few years later sure. and decided to run it. So I'm actually playing in a setting I created. Sure, yeah. So this character became. Well, it's just because it's D&D, 3.5. Sure. He had this amazing ability to win 20 on the Mars. Every single game, natural 20. Sure. Of course, uh, I, I started playing like, this bit with side stereotype. Stereotype. It's played sure. a bit like Puss in Boots. Right, sure. In the girl did Montoya. Sure, right. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Nice, nice. But yeah, but it was fun, right? Just fire. Okay, we'll kick off here. Um, so, when you are being a GM, what sort of preparation do you do? To be honest, not very much. I read through events because I know, I know I've got most of I tend to write down a brief framework of what I'm going to try and plan out. Sure. Because no one is a capricious as the players. That's right, yeah. Um, That's right. I usually try and keep things so that there's a little bit of freedom. I've never liked leaving my adventures out with those. Sure. Um, some of the best games I've run have been more or less improvised. Sure. I like having cool things, things that happen perhaps that you Sure. Yeah. But, uh, one of my favourite games is when Paul Fish and D&D came out. Um, I had my players literally being chased across the countryside. Nice. And I just had a basic idea where it starts off sure. with the town getting attacked from the sea. Sure. And I then suddenly realised that they got legged all the way across the country. Sure. And then one of the players said it after it. He said, I've never been that worried for a character. Oh, so no, nice. And it only had that character given to him that day. That's nice. Good. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that uh, sometimes that's the way, isn't it? Like, for whatever reason, it's just a synergy between, you know, just everybody for whatever reason, whatever they're bringing to the table that day, you know, it transcends you know, a regular session. Like you say, you know, to get somebody to actually care about what happens to their character, I'm not saying that people are routinely cavalier with their characters, but actually get them to, to be immersed to the point where they're worried about what happens with their characters. And I think that's a testament to, to, a, to a great game, for sure. Imminent peril is always a good thing for stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It tends to make the players all think as one. Yes. Uh, plus, you tend not to give them time to think as well. That's right, yeah. You've got to go <laughs> There's with no better gaming involved in That's it. right, yeah. What's the best idea we've got right now? Okay, yeah, we'll, go, yeah. we'll, we'll go with that. And when it comes to your sessions, how many people do you plan? to have um, playing was just whoever shows up what's um, the ideal number the best number is six right five and one or six and one me plus six players that's the best number of me for, for a long term game right if someone drops out yes you have a convenient you can always sure, sure. Uh, four players one of them can't make it he must have caught me apart sure yeah I find it kind of difficult when you do that right um, but I think I played with eight players. Right. Now you need the right environment. Obviously, if it's just you, your your group, yes. it's fine because you might have enough tables. You might sure. 
<laughs> in a place like say where we are today, yeah. um, there's two of them. Yeah, just no one's happy because yeah, yeah. Like, like, we're all like, talking about each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's, um, I wonder, is it the type of games that you play that uh, has more, more people? For me, the ideal number of people is, is three players or an energy, just because you get that dynamic. And it probably comes down to the type of games that I like. I'm more interested in. Uh, I like character dramas more than I like more than I like action um, games, which, which doesn't preclude that occurring in both. But um, I think that you know, role-playing games for me occur on a spectrum. At one end, you've got super simulation, like you mentioned, this Aliens game, or like Twilight 2000, Role Master, that sort of thing. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got games like Fiasco, where there are really not even any GM, right? And it's all about character address and stuff. And there's a spectrum in between. I sort of fall more towards the towards, towards the character. Do you fall more towards the the action sort of um, strategy type in there? I mean, there's no it's not a judgment call anyway. I'm just curious to know what you, how would you characterize that? It's like like a fine balance. It depends yes. on the player. If you've got a focus on, you know, what is what is Dan had for dinner the night he was conceived, for example. Sure. Then you know you kind of kind of play that. Sure. Right. And if you want if you want to say that players are going to bash things, steal the treasure. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, usually it depends on the background they come from. If you know someone saving coming in from computer RPG, sure, <laughs> you, can, you can roughly know what kind of character they're going to sure. pick. Right. You know, you know they're going to have someone that maybe have worked a little bit and maps. This is the way you would in a computer RPG. Sure. On the other hand, blank canvas and what like sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I'm actually interested in, and I'd like to go into that a little bit more. I've never played with somebody who's come from, say, well. Of Warcraft or something like that into RPGs, but it sounds like you haven't had experience with it. What's that like? I've had some experience with it. It's interesting because they tend to focus on the systems where they can achieve, shall we say, their best character as soon as can buy. Right. Um, most are okay. Most are okay once they've picked up on it. Sure. But I think at some point there's this gradual evolution. So you realise that the character they like is important. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Even if it is because they somehow could use their shield when they're using hand raises or something. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing, is that like, and I think that you know, that's an evolution I've mentioned before, but where it goes from, you know, you've got um, somebody comes in and their, their character is a tool, right? And, and they're in the third person the whole time, right? Like, I want to achieve this goal, my tool happens to be a character. And then as they become more and more familiar, they become more and more interested in the, in the, uh, in the character. Yeah. The character's personality and so forth. And it kind of goes from first person to sort of like first, third person. Uh, sorry, sorry. It goes from third person to sort of a little bit first person and then all maybe in, yeah. in the first person. But but not everybody makes that full journey. Like it just depends on what sort of, like you say, what sort of things they want out of the game. So. <laughs> I also find they tend to find a particular game system, right. and initially they kind of focus on that. Right. But over time, they might have change. Right. Some things. But um, one player I know, he started off. With, he was an RPG in Neverwinter Nights. So sure. Yeah. And he came into 3.5. Right. And he's got very much like a 3.5 guru. So he's focused on all that. Right. Um, 
same way you focus on saga, saga edition as well. Sure. But I don't know. But I don't know if you want to be on no, that's right. No, no, for sure. No, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any right or wrong role-playing system or way to play. Just it's whatever, uh, whatever works for people. Would you say that? Uh, would you say that computer RPGs have been good for role-playing in general? Like, do you think it's attracted people to role-play, or do you think that's a really difficult divide people across? Definitely. I mean, to be honest, def- computer RPGs have definitely got folk back in. Right. Uh, most of folk when Neverwinter Nights came out, Skyrim, the media never even heard of the word RPG. Right. But if, when you think about it now, most folk would say, oh yeah, it's an RPG. Right, sure, yeah. And then RPG. Right. Five years ago, no one knew what that Right, sure. Now I get now. And, and so, and you think it makes it easier for people to go straight into RPGs as well? Like the, because, I mean, you are of a similar age. To, to, to me, so it's hard to know what uh, what younger people think about role playing games in general. I know that when I was growing up, there was a lot of stigma about role playing. You know, it's not exactly it's not exactly um, you know like admitting you're a, you're a, an animal sacrificing witch or anything like that. But you know there was this, always a certain trepidation about mentioning it because it had got such a bad rap in the media and stuff like that. Did you have any experience with that when you were not at all? Um, no, mind you. Folk I at school would tend to be much of a, a sameness anyway. I mean, sure. there was that whole geek clique as it were. Sure, right. Back before geek became chic. chic yeah. <laughs> Is that a geek clique before geek became chic. Yeah. yeah, that's the phrase I was struggling to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that time. Right, and how were your parents really getting involved in rock playing? Um, they were cool about that. They were talking about the money I was spending on it. But no, um, sure. Yeah. Oh, you could be spending it on cigarettes and alcohol, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that too? <laughs> well, not cigarettes, not alcohol at that time. Right? Yeah, sure. I think, I, to be honest, it got... When I left school, yeah. I became an interpreter student, as it were. Right, sure. So, at that time, you know, it kind of fell out a wee bit. Yeah, right, sure. I think I got rid of a lot of my old medicine addictions. Right. Well, 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 sure. Better than that now, I can say. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's the thing, is it? Like, a, I mean, that's why there's such a such an industry and, and stuff from the olden days, as it were, because because uh, people are now going, wow, I wish I still had that stuff, so they're looking for it online and paying through the nose to get back what they sold for pennies on the dollar uh, three years ago, right? Particularly the metal Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Fortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I had an undead army. 6,000 point undead army. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Quite a lot of metal on it. Citadel skeletons. Sure. And I thought, oh, fair enough. I don't want to drill. up on eBay. What was that? Yeah. 30 quid. I respect the listen. And now the best thing, thing was, it was a guy who lived down the road. So. Oh, is that right? He was saved on shipping too, nice. I just literally picked up. Yeah, nice. You just have to pretend you didn't hear that, eBay. So, you've but ideally, how often would you role play and for how long? Um, yeah. At the moment, fortnightly is probably the best way to do it. Simply any more than that, and as a GM, you burn out unless you've got huge amounts of free time. Sure. And so how long do you play in the Um Four hours is probably the safest, I think. Right. 
I mean, the days when you used to play all night. Um, it's four hours. I think it's always been four hours. Because it's a brain set to slow down. Yeah, sure. I pulled a couple of all nighter games when I was younger. But is that right, yeah? I think that trying to play one day with yes. yeah, sure. yeah. Is that right, yeah? <laughs> oh, I think there's a thud as you know, my head literally hit the table. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, and okay, the question that, that always gets people thinking is: Should should males play females in uh, role playing games? You can take that either way. Either they should, people should you know, try and push themselves, or um, you know, should they do that? Or, or is it better to stick with your own gender when you're role playing? I don't think there's any problem with that. I mean, some games it might be more a problem than others, but uh, certainly the, the tech game I played, one of my players was female. Right. Not a problem. Right. Uh, Did she play a man or a woman? Um, she played a man, <laughs> and she also had a male player playing a female. Right. None of them caused any problems. I mean, right. as long as there's not some sort of stupid variation of sex. That's right, yeah. I always hate the game system. So the females, they must be like That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, and I guess in that respect, the fact you're male or female makes no difference at all. Right? And, but along with that question, that kind of goes, well, so why would you? So why would you play a different gender? Why not? I mean, why play it out at all for a? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess it's a little bit different. They give a lot of hints about you know how their how their um, society or at least how they interact with each other is different to a, a, to a human, say for example. But um, if you um, yeah, when you're role playing, if you're doing something, playing something different, you know, you're, you're, you're exploring some different idea, right? There's generally, unless there's a game uh, mechanic that means you have to be a female or a male, then if you're choosing to be a different gene, there must be something about that's attracting you to, to, to doing that. So, you know, with, with that in mind, would you say that, like, have you ever played in a game where there's a uh, female GM? Because with that in mind, you know, do you get a more authentic experience playing a female, if you have a female GM or DM or whatever you call it? Yeah. To be honest, I've never actually had a female GM. Right. It's, just, it's unusual. But to be honest, like I said, I, I run most games. Sure. I have plenty of players. Yes. Right. That's never been a problem. Sure. But as a GM, as a sorry, as a player, I've never had a female GM. Right. So what would you say the uh, in Edinburgh? So now in Christchurch, where I sort of did my role playing when I was in university, there were very, very few females. In fact, I would go for a say there were one, perhaps two uh, females in our whole massive group, only one or two females. What's the gender ratio like here in Edinburgh? It's pretty much the same. Uh, a very, very life on girls. We do have, like I said, orcs quite a big. Right, quite a big community. Right, um, certainly we have maybe five or six women that I know do cosplay or do. Right. And how many men? God knows, probably about 30 or 40. So there's a quite a strong ratio. Right, yeah, yeah, it's like 10 percent only. Yeah, I think that's part of the, you know, that's, that's one of the things. That's one of the problems that we have because it's, like, it's such an online community. Yes, obviously, women are a bit more. Yes, sure. Uh, a bit more reticent about it. Right, right. And, and so what would you say the average age of Orc members was? 
Oh God, it used to no, be no. 1625. Right. But now we've seen so many functions to hobbies, probably anything between yeah. 20 <laughs> and 50. Right, okay. I mean, so I'm, we've got all, all ages. I mean, I'm about average. Right, okay. Mid 30s. Right. Um, but we've got folk in the 20s. Yeah. Um, what usually happens most of the university, but like, yes, then there's a university. Right, sure. Um, that run the kind of compulsion. Right. Uh, a lot of students basically go into that. Yeah. Um, but all it's more, a bit more loose. Right. For the benefit of the people who don't know what orcas, can you tell us a bit about it? Um, it's not my, it wasn't my idea. It was, uh, it really started off as a D&D group that was being run at a bookshop down in George Street. Right. Um, it was called the Otacars Rollplay Club. Right. Uh, they went for a little, they went, they went around trying to find a venue to fund games. Right. It wasn't a club by any means. It was just a place, a venue like we are in today. Right. The folks play games. Right. Um, because it's getting a bit more of a community and more and more folks on the side. Now what we do is we tend to have games running throughout the city. Um, what the, best, the best way to describe it is for forum for Edinburgh gamers to be chat, organise their games. There's a wiki that I've set up for other parties. I mean, we've probably got about seven or eight active campaigns. Right, um, that's good. I don't know some of the people that are running them. Sure, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> there's this, there's this, there's this last year, in the last year, I think the number of campaigns running off this. Sure. Doubled. Right, and do you have any uh, like uh, conventions that you put together, like once a year where you all get together? We, or? we, we send out semi-regular pump beats, just basically right. where I feel like organising something. Sure. As, as you're probably aware, organising games is like hurting cats. That's right, yeah, yeah, it's very tricky. Everybody's got other things on, right? Yeah. That's for sure, yeah. So we have a few pub meets that focus talk around. Right. <laughs> right. Um, obviously the games themselves are the but we, the, as conventions go, compulsion is probably the one that's the end of When does compulsion go? Um, it's usually March or April. It's probably it's Edinburgh's biggest. Most, uh, I think it's the only RPG convention. Right, sure. um, there's quite a few in Scotland. Right. Aberdeen, um, Glasgow. Right. Usually it's always such a place where there are yeah, universities right. where there's a kind of high gaming Sure. With, with four universities in Edinburgh, though, it's... Yeah, yeah, you get a lot of them, yeah, yeah. So, do you get, so most of them not here this time of year? Sorry? Most of them are not in town this time of year, that I imagine? I would guess so. I guess there's more folk there, maybe, looking for us. We're not sure what we're going to do. Right, sure. Yeah, folk have gone home for holidays. That's right, yeah, for sure. Um, we're also going to try and do, do one-shots occasionally. Yeah, sure. Just for folk to get a big new experience. Along with playing, you know, females if you're male or males if you're female or playing dwarfs or elves or something like that, would you say that there's uh, genuine catharsis available for role play? To a certain extent, uh, I think anybody that's playing a game with that is good for stress for really. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know some players. And they're not always up there. Most of say have a hangover. Sure, right, yeah. I think it is about feeling a bit better. Sure, yeah. I think if I've, if I've got a good session... Yeah, sure. ...or something, or even if it's been improvised, like, yes. I come out absolutely knackered. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's hard to say. It depends on the Sometimes you get out of the Sometimes anybody has a bad day. Right, sure. 
So how do you feel about fudging in uh, games? Like, do you think that the dot you should roll it out and open and the dice fall where they may, or is there is there scope for the for the GM to mould the story a little bit when it comes to uh, the way the dice turn out, or? With the players roll, I think there's always a get-out clause you grab. If it's WFRP state points, right. drama points, whatever you want to call yes, it, yeah, yeah. the player can change the result. Yes, exactly, yeah. But some of my funniest moments have been with players rolling runs. Right, yes. So I came up with a rule book of one. It's not just a failure. Yeah. It's a spectacular failure. Right, sure. And did you allow the players to describe their own spectacular failures? Or did you? No, I like to do that. Yeah, you do it Usually it's not too harmful for a player sure. she's quite entertaining it's like right. one, I think there's a there's a one in one of my D&D games uh, one of the characters uh, he was going to try and sweep these two ogres into the there's a swing on he to sweep these two ogres and trip them until they were knocked into the cab just for that unfortunately he rolled them up right sure so he goes flying past two ogres and he's rope. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes flying off the press. Right, and he goes. Unfortunately, yeah. the grabs the other end. Oh, nice, right. Yes. <laughs> so you now, you now have 250 pounds of slightly worried fighter. That's right. Yeah. Mess of plate armor and gets swung around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. back towards the fire. That's right. You can choose whether he's going to let go or be hauled by an ogre. Right. So, what is the most inspiring medium uh, media for you um, when it comes to? role-playing, like uh, something you've watched and went, wow, that's really cool, I want to play a role-playing game just like that right now. Probably TV. What do you show in particular? Well, no, really. I mean, sometimes you know, sometimes they watch something like the Born Identity. Born Identity, right? Well, maybe they've got like this one sequence of that, perhaps, or maybe the Advocacy thing. Right. Or games like episodes and things like Brushing the Supernatural stuff. Right. Corporate little bits and pieces of that. Sure. Or even books you read. Right. So there's no particular, like, no particular movie that you read, like no. Highland or anything like that, no? No. Nothing like that? No, nothing, nothing that was a long-running theme. Right. Um, I think some of my favourite moments have been I think one of my favourite moments of players got involved in the chariot race around this, this medieval city. Right, okay, nice, nice. Just, basically, I started doing it more like a grand, grand prix. Right, yeah. It just started off as a little throw incident that's going on in the background. Right, So on the other side, they had to have a team. Yeah, yeah, that's right, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I was trying to think about, I thought, uh, bits of Ben. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, bullet. Right, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. That's often the way, isn't it? You know, just like a little, something happens and for whatever reason it catches fire with the players and with, with you as the GM and the next thing you know, you've got this memorable scene that's unfolding that you had no planning for whatsoever and in fact you couldn't plan for it. You, know, you, can't, you can't plan for something to be fun, right? It's got to be, it's got to be, you can put all the elements in place but, you know, it's really when the people come into it that it actually become, you know, even the, even the players that are spectating yes, that's right. they, they were able to set their trick sabotage and they're going out buying dirty tricks yeah that's right yeah. It's, it's, also, it's just like a throwaway line yeah, right, yeah. Yes. and the next thing you know they decided they've <laughs> still got deals right, yeah. they've got the they've decided their uniform is that right yeah, yeah. they're trying to get sponsorship for the local players <laughs> nice nice if you could be a character in a role-playing game, what, what character would you be? What role-playing game would you want to be? And that doesn't mean you can roll up a character and play a game you want. I mean, just like all of a sudden, poof, Bill suddenly became a character in a, in a role-playing game for real. With, with a kind of 
with my kind of luck of Bolivian and Inquisitor's entourage and 40k right, right, and yeah. everything that implies. Right, is that right, yeah? That would be your choice? If you could choose? I think it'd be whatever the debt to And this draft some choice on me, if you know what I mean. Right, right. Uh, I've probably been very much uh, wage, corporate wage rate or something like that. Is that right? In, in, in any game. But what if you could choose, though? If I could choose, I'd probably be the Inquisitor. You would choose to be the Inquisitor. <laughs> Fair enough. So, what's your uh, role playing elevator pitch and your go to example of play? Like, somebody says to you, Hey, Bill, what are you doing tonight? And you say, I'm going role playing. And they say, Role playing, what's that? And then you say, Oh, God. Uh, um, Interactive, like, it's like an interactive fiction. And then I tend to use one of the examples, like, you know, you've seen, it, you've seen games like Skyrim, it's because you hold you level of depth and things like that. I said it's not like like you see in the media, where folk dressing up with your reading latex swords and things like that. It's a bunch of social activity, they're sitting down. Yeah. Uh, having fun, getting caught up in the story, and just interacting socially. I, mean, I always find it ironic that people, the people that criticise uh, gamers and individuals for being like learners and stuff like that. Sure, it's probably one of those social hobbies I know. Right, it is very social. But the flip side of that, I've asked other guests about that before, is that along with it being such a social game why is it that a lot of role players are outside of the role playing circles quite socially inept I think it's because it's the only way they can express themselves it's part of the right. they tend to I mean we think about it psychologically you play a personality right uh, so it's easy to articulate through, through that personality right uh, obviously in the real world uh, you don't always get that you can't control the reality to some extent, right. or your perception. Right. Right. Um, for a, if you're having problems socially, right. then I think gaming is the best way to release that. You know, right. get, get yourself a little bit of an experience with other people, sure. and because it's a hobby, everybody is like we've been, you know. Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really, yeah, there's that collective yeah. guilt. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. But, for me, it's quite a great way of meeting new people. Right, places like me, I mean, most of my friends I met through the Right. Some of them may not have come to meet things, but still right. Uh, them. right, sure. Yeah. It, just, it becomes especially oh, good if you've never been to a project. If you've never, if you're new to a city and find a local gaming group. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You may not know the name of the name of the person that's been playing the Half Hour Ranger for the last fifteen years. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You may know his surname. Yeah, that's right. You're the bloke that went headbutted back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What you mean? For all the marbles, then, Bill. Um, totaling 100, um, player, GM, and system. You're going to divide that 100 points amongst three based on their relative importance. What would you, uh, how, would you how would you allocate those points? System, 10 points. Setting, about 40 points, I think. Right. And the rest to, to player and GM. Right. Because I think. It's difficult to setting literally draw the players in. Right. If it's detailed, right. um, you, know, yep. you know that's that's it. 
Right. Some of the settings are a, a bit too detailed. Sorry, sorry. Right. For example, I was going to play Eclipse Phase. Right. And it's just, as a game, yes. it's hideously detailed. Right. Uh, I can understand why uh, White Wolf rebooted the Vampire franchise. Right. You get to the stage where you, your players can't fight without right. forcing a major international right. vampire into yeah. the I can I think yeah if you have it in such a way that the system I mean you could play D and D is a not flawless not what you call a flawless system. No. Yeah. Warhammer Warhammer's naked dwarf syndrome right. you know basically where dwarf toughness can get so high okay. so any, any time a player can enact something right. well I've got a normal hammer that's got such a right. anything that I mean no system's 100% perfect right. I've heard some people criticise because it's a framework system right. I myself have stripped out some of the bits and pieces right. to make it run easier right. same with Warhammer same with D&D uh, Thing is, no, 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 no real system to come over Right, and so that's why you place such a high emphasis on the players in the gym? Yeah, and sometimes the best inspiration is the players themselves. So, okay, so you are going to press the big red, big red button. Right. Yeah, why are you press the big red button? <laughs> and this thing, you sit back and let because <laughs> the whole play's going to happen. Well, it's there. Oh, you're not pressing that Ladies and gentlemen, Bill here. Thanks so much, Bill. It's awesome.